0: And
1: talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with Aubrey
2: Loveless. I'm Danielle, and I'm Mark. Hey, Mark! Hey, you're Mark. back. Hey Mark.
1: hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. Thanks for joining us again. How are you doing over there? Yeah, good. I've been drinking way too much
3: coffee. I, I had a, a- coffee, uh, event yesterday and had four cups, which I've never had four cups. Wow.
1: Were you like Jeez. vibrating through time or something like that?
3: <laughs> something like that. Yeah.
1: So do you, does that make you super productive? Like, did you do stuff all day or read stuff all day or?
3: Uh, no, I'm actually glad I didn't have anything planned because I got super hyper for three hours <laughs> and then I power
2: napped. Oh, man. so hard. That's
1: great. (laughs) Yeah, so thanks again for joining us. I know that it's early in the morning where you are, so I really appreciate you getting up and joining the book club, man. That's all right.
3: It's good to be up early for a
1: change. If
3: I don't have something to do on the day, I'd I'd sleep in. I just can't help myself. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I want to thank Jesper Duffy for sharing his Animal Crossing shirt and code for all of the listeners. So if you go onto our social media and you're playing Animal Crossing – You can go on there and get the little code so you could wear a shirt that has our logo on it. That was so neat,
2: yeah. Very cute.
1: (laughs) That's so awesome. Hmm. I wish the game hadn't come out during this whole time
4: of can't spend money.
1: I know, right. Has anyone
3: got any screenshots of that? I've got to see that.
1: Yeah, it's on our, if you just go to our Instagram or Twitter, I, I think I shared it last oh, it's week. Yeah, it's on the
0: Facebook too, no? Yeah,
1: it's on the Facebook too. So <laughs> I, and, and I can just send it to you, Mark, also in an email so you could check that out. But um, really cool. And then he even did like this one little screenshot <laughs> where there are these three animals around the table <laughs> yeah. and they had microphones. And it's he was cute. like, it was like the little uh, book club recording. He said, I- I'll let you guess who is who. Ugh. And so I thought that was really cute. Anyway, you got to go check that out on our social media. Thank you again, Jasper yes Duffy. Yeah, thank you for that. That was pretty sweet.
2: Very cute.
1: And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback section. Get
2: out, and floppies.
4: Get out, hardback copies. Digital is fine.
1: Read time. So we talked out, a little bit about the genre of the Hellboy comics. And Nicholas Orizaga, he kind of kicked all that off with his comment. And he wrote in... And said, I immediately cringe when you guys read my words, superhero comic. Because what I meant to say was, most of the time when artists who draw naturally do superhero comics, it comes off looking like poses rather than a split second of an action scene. How I wanted to take back my words. But then a funny thing happened. It opened up a great conversation about what kind of comic BPRD actually is. I especially loved Aubrey's description. But Matt's point that it is something completely original nailed it too. So I regret nothing. Because friendship. Yeah. So thanks again, Nicholas. He said, also the comics I've recently read include Ruby Falls martian manhunter by orlando and rossmore and coda from simon spurrier and mateas bergara i also watched lock and key on netflix and also read the life and times of mickey rooney one of my favorite golden age actors yeah i want to check out that lock and key on hulu have y'all watched that i have not but
4: it is on the list of things to get to
1: yeah what about you mark it's
4: on
3: netflix and yes i have seen it um uh yeah it was all right like um it's definitely skewing a bit more teen than the book but um yeah it's all right
1: okay cool taylor Dodderman, he also chimed in he said that he's been really busy with work and life stuff so he's still getting caught up on the podcast he's behind a couple of of episodes but thanks for checking in
2: glad you're still able to work that's good yeah
1: really we talked about that monster kowski from Malines, that was in Johann's sketchbook. Remember, we were trying to figure out what that was, and then yeah. Juan Olivia found it in the back of the sketchbook. Jerry Turnbull said, Given the date and location in France, it has to be some nefarious Nazi goings on. <laughs> and Ross Radke said, Oh, wow, is that a Nazi homunculus? When are we getting this story? It kind of looks like an early precursor to the buff flame with those gnarly teeth. Yeah, so, um, but a Nazi homunculus, that would be, I would love to see that story. (laughs) (laughs) That could be really cool. I would love to see that. Did you have any thoughts on that, Mark, on what that series was going to be or who that guy was going to be, where he was going to be included in the universe?
3: I have no idea if they ever have any plans to uh, do anything with him, but
1: it would be great to see a, a Nazi homunculus
3: just snap when it realizes what it is and kill some Nazis.
1: Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. (laughs) Kennedy Lindsay Art said, I still want to see him fight Hellboy and Roger since he's some kind of evil golem homunculus. Yeah, so that would be cool, too, to see Hellboy and Roger go up against this thing. But since it says 49, you know, that's before they had Roger and all that stuff.
2: For a homunculus to have an ideological position, wouldn't it have to have some sort of working mind other than an automaton-ish mind? Like, Roger had... Some spark of like something else the going on fire, there, yeah, the I mean, had had a mind had a personality, but that was some extraneous event that yeah. happened that made it that way. like so what he so he was a he he was a guy, yeah, so like for a homunculus to <sighs> be like a person, you know, there would have to have something else would have to go like so what would that be like just the inverse of what happened to Roger right. basically, like Rasputin is like I'm making a homunculus. And then a, the homunculus is like, yeah, you're right. We should be Nazis. Like, how does that happen? Yeah, I don't That's know. That's a whole thing. I
1: think it's just blindly following orders, maybe. Right. Yeah. And so then
2: wouldn't necessarily be a Nazi, but would be like a tool of Nazis. Wouldn't sure, be like yeah. a person, would be like a yeah. an animated automaton yeah. object guy. Oh,
3: well, I imagine something a bit like, you know, um, a trained dog kind of intelligence. Sure, so. which would be like and, a um,
2: but even dogs are like, they're kind of like like people, like I don't, you know what I mean? Like they, they take on the yeah, whoever's around them kind of a thing. But like, it would be mm. interesting to see, like, because so far, like, we've seen a lot of you know, I'm a gollum, I'm smash, you yeah. know, and that kind of thing. But I wouldn't have assigned personhood to any of those sure, except okay. Roger, or and also the giant yeah. one who melted everywhere. <laughs>
3: Despite all the impact that um, World War II has had on the series, it surprisingly hasn't been explored that much in the comics. It still feels like there's a big chunk in there that they're going to explore at some point. They just haven't gotten to it yet.
2: Well, I think if you automatically want an audience to be like, who's the bad guy we're going to root against them? Nazis. Yeah. Be like, everyone loves to see yeah. Nazis fail and be destroyed in horrible ways i mean of course you know yeah. we we love this well, so this is you know
1: yeah i i like mark's idea earlier i think you said that it would it would snap out of it and it would start killing the nazis sure like that would be a cool be great. twist on that of course yeah. if
2: you have you know if you if you've got some sort of person that's the journey right if oh a golem has been uh, imbued with personhood and they have a mind and they have a personality and they discover yeah. oh this is actually bad and wrong yeah yeah kind of a thing that wasn't that the, uh, mm. that was like the the plot of the first series of like She-Ra, of the new She-Ra cartoon. She oh, was okay. like, oh, I'm on the bad guys team. Oh, what? yeah. Are we the baddies? Like, what's yeah. happening here? <laughs> and that was kind of like, spoilers if you haven't seen it, it's super good.
1: Yeah, I think it's been out for a while. Yeah, I think it's we're so all right I really that.
2: love
3: that cartoon.
1: We also had some feedback on Vivara, that evil little Russian girl, Matt Strackbine's comic that we talked about last week. Ryan Yule said, I'm the very proud owner of the original art pages pencils and inks and so I don't know if we talked about that so one thing that's cool about Matt's art is he does the pencils and then he does the inks on a separate thing so he actually has four pages for those two page panels oh
2: interesting and so like
1: he gave us the inks but he gave the pencils to Aubrey right
2: right right yeah
1: so that's pretty cool right um I really like that uh Ryan posted those. So if you go check out our Facebook page, he actually scanned the pencils and the inks of those issues and they're really great cuz you get to see it without all the word bubbles and stuff like that. So yeah, thank you for sharing that Ryan. He said every time Matt does a two-pager, it's pure gold. I agree that he should do a whole book. Yeah, that would, that would be awesome. It'd be great. Oh, that would be great. I'd love to see a whole book done
4: by
2: Matt. Yeah.
1: And Tech Pat Day Sequoia said, I would love to see Matt do the adventures of Little Hellboy and his dog, Mac. Uh, we haven't gotten oh, some oh, yeah, That would be good, right? <laughs> that would be perfect. Matt no. would have to insert himself into it, though. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and Jason Abaddon said, Jason Abaddon. For Club member, maybe there needs to be a support group for all the characters that have been pickled. Abe, Vivara, Joseph, Johan, the Crimson Lotus Monkey, Kathahem. Oh, man. Yeah, I didn't think about that. All the different uh, characters that have Jeez. been in jars or something like that. Yeah, there's a lot of them.
2: Uh, <laughs> wait, did you, did you mention the guy, the head in the jar guy?
1: Oh, Von Klempt. Von Klempt. Yeah, you're right. He could be in there, too. In there. pickled head Von to Klempt. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know,
2: <laughs> they wouldn't let him in the, I mean he's a nazi pickle you yeah
4: know. <laughs> and you know the hellboy book club podcast loves pickles but hates nazi pickles yeah it's true. No, yeah it's true <laughs> <laughs> um
1: and matt strachbein also chimed in we're missing matt this week matt so yeah we're loving matt he said when working in the hellboy universe we artists get to redraw classic scenes from that universe's history it's not just part of the gig, but a tremendous honor, especially when they let me infuse hefty doses of comedy. <laughs> yeah, so I love those comics. So anyway, we'll be hearing from Matt again soon. Yeah, We had some feedback on "Cometh the Hour Part 1. Ryan Yule said, these connecting covers by Duncan Fagreto are great. And so, yeah, before we started, I busted them out so Danielle could see. Ryan Yule, you know. book club member. That yeah. was awesome.
2: I hadn't seen that, actually. And so he laid them all out on the table. It was incredible. Yeah. It's really impressive. I had not anticipated that it would actually be that cool.
1: Yeah, it was really great. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that when we get to the sketchbook section. I got to talk to Duncan
3: Figrito when um, oh, they cool. revealed those covers. We actually had an interview with him um, about putting that together and how it all sort of unfolded, and that was a lot of fun to do. Oh, uh, awesome. And uh, when, when the interview was being arranged, I was talking to Scott Alley and he was mentioning how, like, for the omnibus, he would have really have liked to have a section in the back where you basically can just unfold this long bit with all of them together was like, we could never do it. It would be too expensive, right. but uh... he would have loved to have
1: done it.
2: Can we link to that um, interview somewhere?
3: Yeah, I can. Uh,
2: I can get the link. Awesome. To
1: you. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah. So we'll include that, we'll in, include the that, that in the links for the, the show yeah. notes. Yeah. Great job, Danielle. For the, and
2: for the Facebook.
1: I would have loved it
4: if they had done that. I actually do have an X-Men omnibus trade where uh, it has X-Men One, the Jim Lee X-Men One, and it has the fold-out gate cover oh, neat. of the in the yeah. in the omnibus. So
2: that's great if
4: they had done that yeah yeah
1: Yeah. Yeah. i
2: guess it's pretty costly like he was saying i don't know how much that would cost but to have that like think of how many issues you're printing like that's so many
1: yeah yeah so Mm. i guess when you have jim lee money
2: dc money or (laughs) marvel money or whatever it is no
4: of course i mean of course we're talking about like that but i mean i'm just saying it would have been cool to see that oh sure yeah yeah.
3: I mean, the thing is, like, um, people look at these omnibuses and they say, oh, they're expensive. They're a hardcover thing and all that. But they're actually really, really cheap for what they are. Right. I mean, it's a $40 hardcover and you're getting three trades in it. And each of the trades on their own would be 20 bucks. Right, so, like, yeah. Dark Horse is really, like, trying to keep the price down. It's something they really strive for.
2: And it's a really fine object. If you If yes. you're someone who likes to... Hold a book Mm. and read it. Not to say like, uh, oh, you got to collect it all or whatever the heck. But if you're not someone who wants to take every individual issue out of a little bag (laughs) like me, like I'm not really (laughs) I'm kind of all about the uh, the trades and stuff and so have that nice omnibus is um it's actually really oh, cool. yeah. it's, it's super cool yeah
3: these hard covers are super rewarding
1: yeah and i really love the all the supplemental material that they have in the back they just have so much stuff in the back there's a lot yeah um, it's really great <laughs> to look at all that stuff
2: and especially the oversized art size pages are just so like for me just to yeah. it's so aesthetically pleasing to yeah. have that just giant art page right in your face You can really see everything. Plus,
3: it's an an expanded sketchbook, too, because they take all the material from the trades and then they add some extra stuff just for the omnibus.
1: Yes, that's the best part for me. Usually, it's
3: like, you know, some commissions that the artists have done um, since the original publication, so you get to see this extra stuff really cool i
2: feel like the people listening are gonna wonder if we're getting any kickbacks from this we're not yeah. we just really like them yeah we're not,
0: they're
4: great they're yeah, this not is, paying us to say
2: this we're not making any money from any of this <laughs> just a little disclaimer
1: and um i also want to thank ryan yule again he's got such a great original art collection he posted that page where vivara puts on the ring and she turns around and she's the demon he has oh, yeah. that page. Wow, yeah. yeah. Nice. And so he also shared so that. Good. He said, "Joseph's reaction is priceless when he sees her in that form. Jason Abdon said, when Redding was being a nag to Johan, I kept waiting for a twist where Redding turns out to be the Black Flame or something trying to right. undermine him. I didn't really have that suspicion of that character, but I guess there is that, you know, we've been shown all this cosmic stuff before, um, especially in Rise of the Black Flame. So yeah, did you ever did you ever worry that something like that was going to happen, Mark? No, um, I've always felt pretty good about the Vril Armor. Yeah.
2: I was wondering about it the opposite way. I was like, is this a shaman guy
3: mm, or something? Okay. <laughs> He's
2: like trying to get him to realize, hey, you know, the universe and yeah, whatever. I don't yeah, know. I can't so wait, I wait to talk about that. My mind went in yeah, the other
3: direction. No, yeah. We are definitely going to have to talk about that.
1: Yes, yes, I can't wait to... We'll, we'll have more of a discussion on that later. Jason Abaddon also said, for the record... Paul Riser is the perfect cast for Manning, swarmy weasel. Paul, Reiser. oh, that's so right. Paul Reiser. Wait. in Aliens in the first Aliens, he's the one. Oh, he's wait. or is it? No, it's the second Aliens, right? Second Ali- yeah. It's, it's Reiser. Alien, oh, yeah. Paul
2: Riser, Alien, not
1: Alien. Have you seen? You've seen him in Stranger Things, right? Oh yeah, he's in Stranger Things too, but he's yeah. a good guy, right? It,
3: it's great because he he plays both. The good guy and bad guy kind of role and that you know he's someone they don't completely trust he's um you know because he's involved with that uh corporation and everything but at the same time and, and like and i feel like that's where manning sits you know like he's not actually a bad guy he's just kind of shackled by all this bureaucracy he's got people above him who make bad decisions and he has to defend them even though he doesn't agree with them and things like that and it just feels like yeah he'd be perfect for the part yeah, sure, yeah. that is good that's a good that's casting It's not bad
1: He also said the ultimate lesson to the Hellboy verse is never leave the murder weapon behind. It's true. Yeah. (laughs) And Mark, you had some feedback also. You were talking about that you haven't read Cometh the Hour since you wrote your reviews for it. That's mind boggling to me. Not that it's bad or anything. It's just emotionally draining. It's difficult to find the stamina for it. Yeah,
3: uh, it was actually really hard to make myself go back and revisit it for this one. Just And, and we'll get to why. But um, yeah, it, it's just, it's a tough one for
1: me. Oh, yeah. Um, you also mentioned that page where Kate kind of breaks down and she crumbles against the console and stuff like that.
3: Yeah, I was glad you called out that panel because um, we, we were talking about that style of panel in um, End of Days. And this was the one that I had in mind, you know, the... The one that I thought was the ultimate example of
4: it.
1: Yeah, you did mention that. And then uh, Matt made a comment and you were like, I'm going to have to save my answer for that for next episode. Yeah, so that's that's what you were talking about. Such a great page.
3: Actually, when he said that, that was when he was talking about um, the impossible will happen. And we'll get to that.
1: Oh, okay. When I posted about the Ogdru Jihad spitting out those Ogdruhem babies, Jason Abaddon said, spreading its awfulness not maintaining social distancing mm. <laughs> that was pretty good okay. and michael Welcome. and michelle masala on twitter said late bprd when the audrey jihad comes out to play is such a great visual source of inspiration though for me the whole hellboy is and i keep repeating it so who am i even kidding <laughs> yeah so thank you for sharing us on twitter we talked about Mignola's social media drawing extravaganza oh, that we've man. all been enjoying. Oh,
4: oh so great. He's and
1: drawing,
2: like, cereal guys now.
1: I know. That's what he was drawing like, today. Yeah. Mr. Peanut and... Um,
2: Toucan Sam.
1: Right. And, um, and Fucking
2: Rice Krispie Treats <laughs> guys. Oh, I haven't oh, seen those no.
4: guys yet, but uh, Jolly Green Giant was, was a favorite.
3: <laughs> the ones he's got on eBay at the moment, um, the Asterix and Obelix one, I was like, oh, man... I really want that one. (laughs) It's outside my price range. Oh, Oh, right. Yeah,
1: they're going for a lot, but good on them because all the money is going towards charity and good organizations. But you did mention in your comment that four shows that defined your childhood was, one of them was Asterix and Obelisk, right?
3: Yeah, that's uh, one of the comics I loved. Um, The Adventures of Tintin, Astro Boy, which, you know, was fantastic. Uh, I loved 1980s Astro Boy. And uh, there was this anime uh, adaptation of The Wizard of Oz, which was absolutely fantastic. I really loved that.
1: Yeah, and Mignola's done a bunch of those already. He did Astro Boy, right? Um, he did Astro Boy and uh, Screw on Head. Yeah, that was great. Yeah,
3: yeah. The whole bunch of Screw on Head. He's done like four Screw on Head. That's pictures super so good.
1: What, what have been some of your favorites, Mark, that he's been doing?
3: Asterix meant such a huge amount to me as a kid, being that um, Udelso had just died. That was one of those ones where I saw it, I loved it, and then I got all emotional about it. And, you know, like that's, yeah, it was, it was really
1: great. Yeah, they've been so awesome. And um, I'm really excited. Yeah, it's just like, it's just whatever is coming out of his mind. It's so interesting. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but that's what, you know, I was saying is like, you know, we've seen him draw this, at and the other. I'd like to see this man draw stuff I haven't seen him draw before, and we're really getting it. We're really getting it. I never mm
1: -hmm. thought we'd see a Mignola toucan Sam. Yeah, man. I never thought we'd see (laughs) Mr.
3: Peanut. Yeah. Oh, that one was amazing. I loved the the way the legs look like. If you kicked the cane out from under him, he'd collapse. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, There was a bit of feedback uh, about the map talk that Matt Strackbine brought up. Um, Just wanted to clarify a few things, some minor corrections. With the uh, placing of the headquarters, that was something where um, I had no idea where it was. Um, I just was like, oh yeah, Colorado mountain. Oh, there's a mountain range. and just plopped one down. And I don't know if that's the spot where I dropped it or I think um, it's possible that I dropped it down and um, Scott Alley was, Alley was like, no, that doesn't work at all. And then nudged it to a new position. I honestly can't remember now. It's too long ago. Oh. Um, but he, he did do that where he'd, he'd occasionally get very specific about locations. Wow. There was one like in um, Abe Sapien, there's a town they visit called Rosario, which doesn't exist. It's totally fictional. He ended up like nudging that one very, very specifically to a location on the map. And then I was reading the comic later on, and the map actually shows up in the comic where um, Kate's looking at it, and it's the same location. <laughs>
1: Oh, wow. okay. Wow. That's awesome. What a great little detail. Yeah, I was checking out that map and so I've linked that. If you go now to all of our links were on our Facebook page, um and then Ryan was telling me, you know, that the beta version of Facebook Chrome like wasn't showing that section. So I also went to our Podbean page. If you go to our Podbean page on a desktop, All those links are there as well. I put the Google map, Hell on Earth, and I was checking that out. It was so interesting. It's got Phoenix's little trail when she runs away and the towns that she goes to. And then it has Abe's journey and Strobel's journey. It was so fun to kind of click around and look at that. All right, and now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. This week we're talking about the part two of BPRD Hell on Earth cometh the Hour, issues three through five. These were published from September to November 2016 as BPRD Hell on Earth number 145 to 147. Story by Mignola and Arcudi, Colors by the Mighty Dave Stewart. Letters by Clem Robbins. Amazing interconnecting covers by Duncan Figredo. And don't forget about Continuity Guy. Keeping it all in line and order for all these titles and amazing series. Scott Alley is doing all the awesome work there. An Amazing Interior Art by Lawrence Campbell. Yeah, and so this is mind-blowing to me that we're here. You know, we are wrapping up this section of BPRD, and there have just been, like, so many characters. And so, like, this is what I was talking about when I tried to make the analogy early on in the podcast that I felt like this series is, like, lost If they had done a better job of that show, because like all the characters interact and they're all involved in each other's backstories and it interweaves in this way where all this stuff is a through line. And so, yeah, um, I was just wondering, like, what are your thoughts on the series when we first started and then now that you're kind of looking back and you can kind of see how everything's connected and how all the series are coming together? One, I need to reread everything. (laughs) <laughs> um,
4: but too i mean yeah i know i mean everything it's great that everything is like connecting all the threads are pulling together i mean i'm pretty sure that there may be a a dropped plot or here there but i can't think of anything the major man it's been a great journey i cannot and i also cannot believe we're here where we're at because mm-hmm. i remember when we first started this podcast and i look it over in your shelves and like i'm looking at Plague of Frogs, four volume omnibuses, and Hell on Earth, five volume omnibuses, and I'm like, we're never gonna get through that. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> and plus, all the Hell Hellboy and uh, Witchfinder and yeah. Lobster and everything that we've read—it's been a fucking journey.
1: Another thing that I want to say is I want to thank all of the listeners who have come along with us on this long journey. You know, we're learning more and more that community and friendship are the tie that binds all of us. And having this book club and all you guys keeping me social, you know, it's really approved my well-being and it certainly helps me cope with the stresses of life and, you know, all the different friendships and all the different people that I've met doing this show. You know, we we still have another year of episodes that we're probably going to do and then we probably still have stuff that we can do after that. But... It feels, like, really special to me. I don't know if it's just, like, all the stuff going on in the world and everything, but it feels like a big deal that we are getting to this today, and so I just want to thank everyone for, you know, participating up to this point, and um, it's been really great.
2: Yeah, friendship.
1: Yeah! Yeah, and with all that being said, let's go ahead and dig into chapter three. I want to start off talking about this cover by Duncan Figredo. I love this cover with Yosef and Vavara. I love seeing Figredo's take on these characters, and like, oh, it's so nice! Yeah, and when you look at the sketchbook section of this, I believe it was going to be Phoenix and Eris. We'll talk about it that was. a little bit more when we get to that section. But um, I think it's—I like the Joseph and Vivara. I think that um, that that is a better choice.
4: I mean, it, 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 it's a better fitting choice too, because uh, while Phoenix is in the story, it's and Eris aren't main players so much. Right, as Joseph and Vivara are.
1: Yeah.
2: It does give it a more like epic feel too.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I love again how Fagredo recreates Mignola's pandemonium in the background. It's so awesome. Oh yeah. I'm
3: just sort of staring at it in awe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we open at the BPRD headquarters and no one wants to take that sweet baby Bruiser the Rottweiler. Yeah, this yeah. this
2: was a very weird <laughs> I didn't get this at all. Aww. I didn't get any of it. I didn't understand it. I was very thrown off by it 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 left a bad taste in my mouth Aww. honestly i was very confused by it i I, didn't, I i'm not sure it belongs in the store and this is kind of the first real true complaint i've had hmm, okay. so far i feel like about any of this is just like what was the point of that maybe i'll eat my words later and come to some startling revelation about wow it makes perfect you know and, right. and i'm hoping
1: So, you know, Kate tells Nichols that she doesn't want to take him and she outranks him, but Nichols says this ain't the army. Plus, Manning is having him oversee the evacuation. Anyway, I hate dogs, he says. (laughs) And we see one of those Chinook helicopters that I mentioned last week and right in the horizon we see the Ogre Jihad is getting closer to the headquarters.
4: Okay, so right off the bat, Nichols just
1: lost like a billion points for yeah,
4: saying I, don't I hate him. I not understand any of that. <laughs> and I'm sorry, because that was not cool with me. It's
2: uncalled for. It. It's just seem, it just seems uncalled for.
1: Kate leads Bruiser inside, and she runs into the UN guy. He says there's only 12 of them left. Him, Kate, Ponya, and tech staff. But there's a problem. The elevators don't go down to the lower levels. Here, Kate says... As she hands off the dog to him. And Bruiser growls at the UN guy. Don't worry. He does that all the time, Kate says, walking away. <laughs> that
3: was funny. Oh, just that moment at the top where she's like, Come on, you filthy girl. I don't know about how you guys read that. For me, I read that as an affectionate one.
1: Oh, okay. There you go. Oh, I do too. Kate says not to worry about the elevators. The lower levels are cleared. Nobody's down there. And so we see someone pushing the elevator buttons. It's Ponya. She's down there with Marbles the pelican monkey and Ollie the cat. Beautiful, she says. When were you two last outdoors? And so it looks like the same spot that Johan went to. Remember when he released himself from the gas? I remember there was like some raccoons and some dumpsters. So I feel like this is the same area there that we saw in Nothing, Nowhere, Never. Panya says it's not as wide as she hoped, but should be enough space. Marbles comes over to gesture to Ollie, who's running away. We see the cat leaving. Well, I guess it's time for all of you to leave, she says. But not you. Not yet. And they go back inside, and as we pan out, we see Johan flying into this action scene. So I really like that transition as we're moving out of the base to what is going on in the battle. Yeah, that was a nice transition. Yeah. So here, Liz and Johan continue to burn and destroy the Hem johan comes to relieve liz but she says she's got it and we see more Ogdruhem spit flying down you know the ones that are coming out of the ogre they crash nearby she says nobody can take a break with this going on johan says the power runs through you as it runs through me like water through a pipe it is tireless but you're still human your body's not metal Johan says if she doesn't take a break, she'll die, and they can never replace her. And so there's this, like, moment where Liz kind of hangs her head, and she's like, okay. Where, she whispers. Johan tells her of a motel room nearby, and he's made arrangements. They wake her if the thing goes that way. And as he's talking, she just starts, like, falling out of the sky. Exhausted. Johan carries her. Kate has told her the headquarters will be evacuated, with one helicopter load so he has a moment and he flies off with liz and we see redding in the background yeah but i really like this scene um how he talks about the power that runs through her is like water through a pipe so it's just like a limitless um i just like the idea of that that she's just able to channel all of this power
2: but then also like sometimes like a pipe if that stops the pipe will collapse oh yeah right
3: yeah like like all the um the little lines that campbell's put around her eyes and like the bits of purple and everything to show how exhausted
4: she's getting
1: yeah when they show her face you can really see that tiredness they really do a good job of doing that
4: i've had this kind of theory going on in my head about johan and the armor and Redding talking to him and before uh when Redding was in the armor with the previous guy and so forth and so forth I almost feel like that it's not really Redding or the guy who was before Redding it's more of like their personality was imprinted into the armor
0: right. and so that's
4: the armor is talking to them but they're using the imprint of the last occupant that's my whole theory about the armor it's just that you know it's like you know, it's not really Redding talking to Gilhan it's the infinite but with Redding personality imprint
1: yeah i like that that's a great theory as johan flies off with liz we see writing in the background friends are the hardest kraus he says i know i understand i held on for months only because of my friends one friend but you know that as soon as your spirit entered this armor it was your memory too everything that's happened to me has happened to you you know all of me kraus But the truth is greater than that. If you let your consciousness expand, everything that's happened to everybody, everything that's happened to every atom in the universe, yours to see, to feel, to be. The infinite is yours, Redding tells him. We cut over to the headquarters and we see Marbles, the pelican monkey, running along with some BPRD keys. I like how they gesture, you know, they do the little arms and stuff like that. (laughs) And Kate is calling over the loudspeaker. David Panya, I know what you're up to. You don't have to be sneaky about it. I would have given you permission. Why the hell do you disable the elevators to that level? You were the one who urged me to evacuate, and now you pull this, doctor, and we see the UN guy come up. He tells him that Nichols is there for the evac, and maybe she can take the dog. But Kate just says, right, go time, you keep the dog. <laughs> And they go outside. Nichols asks where Ponya is. This was supposed to be the last load. I'm working on it, Kate says. And Nichols still protests, taking Bruiser. So Kate takes out a gun to shoot the dog. This is that this moment is that you're, yeah.
2: I don't understand this.
1: I don't think that Kate's really trying. No, really no, no, no. It's clearly a, think, a King I
2: mean, Solomon really like... kind of a thing. But I'm saying, yeah, but I mean, it, uh, what the fuck? I think I understand what saying.
4: Yeah, I mean, it is kind of a messed up thing because it's all like, why are we bringing stuff? Everybody knows that Phoenix loves that dog. I don't really know why mm. they're, being a, they're being dicks about it. Uh, it. It almost feels kind of like an archaic 1950s kind of attitude towards dogs.
2: Yeah, it's so uh, odd. People
4: thought about dogs as property right. as opposed to family members.
2: Yeah. So, uh, I, I, don't I know.
3: think uh, basically Kate's pulling out that gun purely for illustrative purposes. Obviously, not going to pull the trigger, but just being like, look you not taking it is as good as killing it. You know, that kind of... Sure, um,
2: that's true. Thing. I mean, yeah, yeah.
3: I mean, you're like, the way I see it, she's at the most stressful point of her life. she just cracked earlier in the previous story. And this is just like, I don't have fucking time to be fucking diplomatic here. asshole. take the fucking dog. True, true, true. And I
2: absolutely see that. I absolutely see that. That's that's very true. You know, she's she's got to get everyone the fuck out of there right now, including the dog. And she's you know these people are like whining about how they don't wanna so i can totally see that she's like okay well that's just as good as letting the dog die so you might as well shoot it so right, that that's a great yeah. point that's a great point i think that that when you put it in that context it it makes a lot of sense she's trying to get stuff done and she's the person who gets everything done and this is the fastest way she can get it done Exactly. so there you yeah, go that so makes sense. that makes total sense okay
1: and when she's holding the gun on the dog and she says so which is it and nichols kind of turns around and looks at her that panel was so yeah, great he's Lawrence mad. Campbell, he really captures that well and they're like okay we'll take it we'll take it to the base you know yeah and we mentioned that mill holland air force base that's a fictional base i couldn't find anything about it kate tells nichols to take everybody she'll get panya and if he can make it back they'll go then if he can, Doctor, the UN guy says. You have to come now. You're the Bureau Field Director. Move it, Gibney, Kate says, unless you want to stay too. Jeez. Gibney, Whoa. that's his name. That's his name. Ooh, the the leader you, has a name. They've never mentioned his name, and then in the very last time, probably that we see him, Gibney. she mentions his name. I thought that was so yeah, funny. Yeah, that's Did, interesting. Do you have any insight on that, Mark? Did they do that on purpose, just leave it till I the do. very end? I
3: think it was back on... Um gods or russia i was talking to scott alley and i was like look this guy keeps on showing up and i have to keep on calling him un guy does he have a name and um scott alley's like he does but we're not going to reveal it well okay maybe we'll reveal it the last time he appears
1: oh wow (laughs) that's
2: interesting
3: yeah so that was just a gag they put in there just to amuse themselves
4: i love that when I read his name I was all excited because I was like, Oh my god, we know his name and then I was all like,
1: Wait, that's
4: because this is the end.
1: Right. Yeah. Now. Jeez. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, so that is a fun moment, but also, damn it, Kate, this this part is so frustrating where she's just like, uh, well I'm gonna go get Panya and y'all just if y'all can make it back and it's like, What the hell? Like anyway, she's she's gotta be this kind of character, but yeah, still yeah. it doesn't make it any it doesn't make it any easier.
3: It really doesn't
2: yeah i do feel bad for kate like she's always been just the one who's gotta keep it together and gotta make things happen and it's just just like you know it's not fun
1: as the chinook takes off we go back over to johan and he sees it too and so he thinks everyone's evacuated now everyone is safe he says to himself as he blasts these tentacles with real power and so, we see Kate now, and she's so stubborn, she's, like, hacking into the elevator controls. She's still talking through the intercom. She tells Panya that she might as well come up so they can leave. And Ponya, she's talking to Marbles, and she says, Kate is smart, but she'll never override it. Now let's go about freeing your friends, shall we? And she opens the door to the menagerie where all her animal hybrid babies were kept. Ah, at last. At last, she says. Yeah, so what do you think about this as she uh, frees all the little animals and stuff like that?
2: Well, I feel—I mean, i feel bad for them because they, I don't know if they can like survive in the wild. They've just been in captivity.
1: Well, they—but they were kind of in mm. the wild on their island, weren't they? Because remember, oh, yeah, I in guess that's Indonesia, sure. they weren't in captivity right. really until um, they brought them back with Panya. That's true. <laughs> Before that, they were just kind of they roaming around. around. Yeah. yeah, so there you go. Was she saying, Jesse? Jesse,
4: where did you go? Is that Marvel?
1: Yes, and so another yes, name reveal. She says Jesse. That's what she calls him. So that was his name all this time.
2: Jesse Kevin Marbles. <laughs> I like this. I like this alligator deer. And we've got this weird like like a weird what's next to the alligator deer? It's like a weird. And then there's like, it's like, like a, a of, those... frog bird thing. Yeah, a frog, a frog bird. bird. Yeah. Oh, it's a frog bird. Wow. And then there's like a there's like a flamingo dinosaur. Thing, yeah. These are great. These are great. These are great.
1: And then I like on this bottom panel how Jesse, the pelican monkey, is (laughs) is sitting on the back of this one, like all super pumped. You know that they're all going free and stuff. Oh man. Yeah. So I thought that was a sweet moment. So. That's why Panya has left everyone behind. She had to go do this thing first. You know, she wanted to free all her animals. You know, she created all those animals on that island. So, you know, I thought that was kind of a sweet moment, albeit really weird.
2: <laughs> it's interesting. Like, that's her That's her priority is is these? Yeah. all these guys trying to get them out of there. Yeah. She
4: doesn't want them to die in captivity. No,
2: yeah. I mean, at least they would have so like, a, a shot.
4: Yeah, yeah, because remember earlier in the in the in the series they mentioned had they set them free they would have just been food for the monsters.
0: Right. Oh yeah. Uh,
4: and so now she's setting them free because they know it's like this is you know they're well going to either die debate, in base or they're going to be die out die in freedom. So yeah, yeah.
1: And so we cut back over to Kate. And now she's, like, rappelling down the elevator shaft. Like, (laughs) Jesus Christ, Kate, why? Why are you so stubborn about this? But, like, she's got to do it.
2: She's so mad.
4: Because nobody gets left
2: behind.
1: Yeah. And she's like, that's right. Who needs any damn code? As she's, like, rappelling down this thing. Back with Panya. She's letting all the hybrids out of those doors near the dumpsters that we saw her checking out earlier. There we go. Free. Free as you should have been all along. As we all should be. And so she stands up from her wheelchair. I really like that bottom panel. Yeah, that's that's really nice.
4: I mean, that's also exciting. We haven't seen Ponya stand up.
1: Yeah. That's, I mean, well,
4: yeah. it, other than flashback.
3: Oh, there's a whole thing back in um, King of Fear. Doris mentions that she she should be able to walk within a year. And um, she never ends up getting out of the chair. I kept on waiting for that moment when she was going to stand because of, you know, like the... In King of Fear as well, you also see those um, photographs with her standing. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was always waiting for that moment to come along.
2: There's a lot of uh, people who do utilize um, wheelchairs in their daily life who, like, they can stand, but maybe they get tired really easy or maybe they have, like, some sort of injury mm. or disability that, that it makes it painful to do, you know. They, it's, like, it's hard to do it all the time. So, like, they utilize that wheelchair just because it's, you know, it helps their mobility. They can they can go right. to the grocery store. They can do whatever, you know. And so it's I, I, I had a feeling it was always just kind of like, yeah, you know, she uses this device to get around because it's just better for her to use it. And, you know, but now at the end of everything, she's, you know, prefers to stand, I guess, for whatever reason. It's like, well, it's the end of everything. I might as well get up. Yeah, I don't know. So right. it's, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: And so we see Kate standing in the elevator. Great. You've had your butterflies are free moment. Now, can we get out of here? Kate, oh, darling, why'd you come down here? Ponya says. No, the question is, why did you come down here, Kate responds, and lock everybody out. You don't have to do that. I was going to release these creatures. Go, Kate. Go away, Ponya says. I don't belong here. What does that mean? Of course you belong here. How many lives have you saved working with the BPRD, Kate asks. No, darling, not here, at the Bureau. I mean, all of this. I don't belong anywhere. Not anymore. 3,000 years ago, I was born... And more than 150 years ago, I was resurrected. It goes on and on and on. It's too long, Kate. I've seen too much, Ponya says. I don't want to see anymore. What's the point? What's the point in my holding on?
4: She's what? trying to sound like Johan and the Brill armor.
1: Oh, right, yeah. Ponya why didn't you tell me all this, Kate says. I would have listened. I could have helped. What could you do, Ponya says. I don't need a pill, Kate. I need to go on. I thought that that was, it's getting really heavy here, right? And so, right. you know, this kind of recognition that Kate would have helped her, you know, if she wanted to just be done with everything. I think that that's a, just a really heavy scene. And so do you, Ponya says. Now go, Kate, please go. And so she waves her hand at Kate. And then we get just this panel of Kate crying. It's so heartbreaking yeah. and, you know, so so much emotion in this scene and the pacing on the page is really incredible. Oh, but you came back for me, Ponya says. Dear, dear girl, you are a treasure. Ponya, please, Kate asks. And so she kind of like reaches over and they embrace hands. And just that moment itself is just, um, just really emotional and just like, you know, this is the part where you're like bringing out the tissues and stuff like that. And then on the very next page we get a full page of this blast from the Ogre Jihad, totally demolishing the BPRD headquarters yes. we see the animal hybrids escaping and the smoldering destroyed stronghold afterwards Man,
4: that was a that was a rough moment like you said bring out the tissues cuz you know they hold the hands gets all sad and then the next scene is utter destruction
1: yeah and and when i read this like they put this little part on the bottom of the panel of the animal hybrids escaping. And to me, like, I was holding on to a shred of hope right there. Like, I was like, well, they were there with the animals. Maybe they got out of there. Maybe they jumped on one of these animals. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, they see we see the animals are getting away. And so, like, I knew that it... I just didn't want to believe it. You know what I mean? And I think as a reader, you're looking for any little thing to maybe tell you that maybe there's a hope or maybe something bad didn't happen, but um, I don't know. what. How, how did you take that scene, Mark, when you first read that?
3: This scene was brutal. This is why I can't revisit this one.
1: Yeah. Sorry, it really gets to me. Yeah. Aww. It's really it's really tough. We'll, we'll talk about it more. I want to, when we get to the end of this, this issue, I kind of want to revisit that a little bit, but uh, really emotional and, you know, a really heavy scene to read.
3: So going back a little bit to the previous um, two pages. But there's this really nice bit of imagery that goes along with dialogue where the bottom of the page on the left, the last line is what's the point in my holding on? And then in the bottom uh, of the, the next page, she's holding on to Kate.
1: Oh, right. yeah. Well, oh, wow. And, and even the way they split that panel on that previous page, like you said, it really kind of sets you up for that. That's beautiful. Wow. Really artful. After that heartbreaking, destructive moment, we get this one page with the three panels. We see Liz asleep in the hotel room, Johan continuing to blast of real energy at the creatures, and Gibney, the UN guy, with Bruiser landing safely from the helicopter. It goes on. Yeah, so that is just... that. That even, on top of it, you know, Liz was supposed to be there, and then here she is asleep in the motel room. You know, Johan thought that everybody had gotten out, they were safe, and then we also see that the people that did leave, they did safely arrive back at the base. So it's just like, that page on top of the two previous, it just really kind of gets you in your heart meet, right? Yeah, it does. Over with Nichols in the helicopter, we see the Ogre Jihad in the distance, He's riding along to help with Panya as they go back to pick up her and Kate. Nichols says he has something he wants to say to the field director. Corrigan, one of the pilots, asks, "Yeah, she can be a pain, but what the hell?" And he's interrupted by this massive hand coming out of the ground. Yes. Yeah, but I like that little throwaway line where he's like, "Corrigan, yeah, she can be a pain, but like yeah. you know," and the, I just, I, uh, just that little comment afterwards was, um. The, the writing is yeah. so good on this, yeah. I love the shadows I
2: mean, on the craggly hand. Oh, I yeah. Take a hard, I hate to take a hard left into Artsville. No, but you're all fine, all the yeah. shadows on the craggly hand are so good.
1: Yeah, you were talking about hands in the last episode, too. Yeah, man. Yeah, and Lighting. so that is really cool how they are able to do that. You know, I mean, this, this is a different helicopter. It's
4: not a Chinook helicopter or anything. It's just like, you know, it's a regular, I don't know, it could be like a black helicopter. I don't know what kind of helicopter it is. But it's just the three of them, but they're still going back for Kate and Ponya. Right. The Nichols. You know, he may have something he wants to say to Kate, you know, because he's probably mad at her or he wants to be all like, hey, blah, blah, blah. But it still shows that he cares enough to go back for her, you know, one last
2: time. Or maybe it's maybe he feels he bad matter. and he, he wants to be nice to her.
1: Well, then we're going to no, review. I doubt it. Wait. I doubt it. That's <laughs> not <laughs> they, they, well, there is a there is a little throwaway line where they kind of reveal what what I think is what he was going to say to her, but we'll get well, back I mean, to but that.
4: But I'm just saying, like I'm just saying, like this just kind of shows that, like you know, even if he is, yeah, you know,
1: mad or right.
4: angry, but he you know he respects her enough that he's going to, you know, he didn't have to come back.
1: Right? Yeah. Yeah. You you know, know, they tried.
4: Was, that was that was supposed to be the final helicopter, but you know, he's like, no. Nope. Yeah, they're back, they're trying. A
1: yeah, you know. yeah, I like that. Thank you so, for bringing that so, up.
4: So Nichols may be kind of being a dick. He may not like dogs, and he still loses a million points for that. <laughs> but at least he, he does care about Kate, just just to so he give her a piece of his mind, but he doesn't know that she's dead. And he's probably going to have a guilt about it going on.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shit, holy Jesus. We get this incredible work by Campbell and Stewart as this giant like sits up out of the ground or he like bursts out. I just love the motion on that page. Oh, so good. And he comes face to face with this helicopter. I really like that too. And so, you know, we'll see it more in the sketchbook, but I think like there are some comments that um Scott Alley wanted more debris, you know, when that giant is coming out of the ground, so they added more of that. And then I think um, Lawrence Campbell said that the giant had an eye, he had a pupil, but Dave Stewart decided to just keep it blank.
2: No, it's good, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so I really like that, and I like those little behind-the-scenes details that we get um, when you read all the supplementary material. And then another epic double splash page by Lawrence Campbell and Dave Stewart as we see these giants coming out of the ground to face the Ogre Jihad. This is so awesome. So these are Dante's giants, Yosef says, as he's watching them with Vivara. And we talked more about those uh, parallels with Dante's Inferno and these giants on the last episode. Yeah, so what an incredible reveal here. You know, we know that the Ogre Jihad is there, and it's like unstoppable and all this stuff. And then, you know, we're about to get this epic fight with these giants. Did you ever imagine that this would be where where the book would go in trying to deal with this thing? No, not even, never.
4: <laughs> i mean i never thought we'd i mean no <laughs> this
0: is
4: so amazing on this double splash page all the the titans popping out of the ground to go fight the Ham. so uh these last few weeks so we've been in the uh self-quarantine and all that mm-hmm. my family we've been doing group calls on zoom
1: and you know you can do virtual backgrounds. okay <laughs> i set this top panel as my background <laughs> <laughs> so you're doing a zoom meeting with the giants uh, approaching the oxygen hat in the distance I I was,
4: but the way that it sh- you know the camera does on my phone is actually the one giant butt was showing my family most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, just wanted a little moment of levity before. No, the war. Yes, no, that's
1: great. That's <laughs> funny.
3: Before we uh, did this podcast, I went back and uh, revisited my multiversity reviews that I was doing for this. You know, kind of seeing what i thought as each issue was unfolding right it's kind of interesting to read through and i was pretty surprised to find out that i actually had a, like a lot of this stuff like already figured out it was like you know, oh yeah this is why she's going to hell this is why this is going to happen this is why and then it ends up happening and it's like huh i didn't even remember i like figured that out but anyway
1: Wow, that's awesome! Yeah, because they kept mentioning the giants earlier. They made a big point of focusing on that part of the lore. Wow, that is so awesome!
3: The, the Titans, the Watchers—they've been referred by those two terms often.
1: Yeah, I'll have to go back and check what are all the storylines where they kind of, like Matt always says, it makes you want to go back and take out all your issues and figure out how long they've been kind of setting this up since at least the island. Right. Wow, that was a long time ago.
3: Yeah. There's, there's some interesting stuff, uh, like when you go back and read old Mignola interviews, um, we'll eventually get there. But there's a particular plot point that comes up in The Devil You Know, and Mignola casually revealed it in an uh, interview in 1998. Wow. So he knows this stuff well ahead of time.
1: Oh, yeah, that's awesome. I love that you can go back and track all those through lines to way back in the beginning of the beginning books, Yeah.
3: Yeah, well, what's really funny is um, his memory of it slips a little bit, and, it, like, you you read later interviews, and if anyone's asking about when these particular plot points were coming up, he's like, oh, probably would be, like, 2008, 2009. He'd guess, what like, a decade later than what it actually was.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Vivara says, call them what you want, Nacheco. They are the first angels cast into the pit for stealing the fire from the sky and for worse sins.
2: They got watcher chests. Yeah,
1: they do. I love that little panel there where they kind of show, I guess, like, that's them transforming from being the watchers after being cast down into the pit.
3: Well, that's the thing is, like, that chest, it's, I've always um, seen that as kind of, you know, that connection to Vril and everything. And, um, like, like, you look at the way they appear in the island, where they're basically, like, they appear almost like Liz does, where they're basically this huma- human-like figure in flame. And they have the the whole burning chest section. And as you can see here, like, that's gone now. Like, they've been stripped of a lot of their power by this point.
1: Right. Wow. They're in the pit first, but when Satan and all of us fallen arrived, there was a war. A war for the control of despair. They were defeated, crushed down, killed, one was enslaved to build Satan's capital, his seat of power. And we get these amazing panels. I really love this, where we see the Titans fighting all the demons of hell. That's so epic. I would love to see, like, a flashback of that. I can almost imagine it, like, cinematically, like those Lords of the Rings flashbacks where they show all those, like, insane battles going on. Oh, like uh, the defeat
4: of Sauron.
1: Yeah, exactly
2: and this next page this panel at the top left is incredible i stared at it for so long
1: yeah uh, i was, was going to say mm-hmm. that too and so we reveal that pandemonium was heaped upon the backs of the few angels yet living. So and good. so, yeah, after they were defeated, they were shackled. That's why these ones that are coming out of the ground are shackled, and they've just been sitting under there this whole time. That's so crazy because we know that it's like on a pool; it's on water, so they're underwater, it's underneath a wild all reveal. that. Yeah. That is so awesome, it's and really they're good. they're on the backs of all the other dead ones and stuff it's like a very that. Very panel. Yeah, it too. is. The composition
2: oh, yeah. of it and the just
1: good so my question is like
4: uh we already know pandemonium's dead you know because you know hellboy killed satan and blood and then the i guess his sister or aunt or you know went crazy in there and all that yeah after, after these titans rose up out of the water did pandemonium sink below it
1: we'll find out a little bit more about that ah okay all right next week "'These are your giants, freed from their dead tyrant servants, "'but strays from a greater world, "'the Watcher Angels, the Architects, "'the sires and creators of the Ogdru-Jahad. "'Creators,' Yosef says, "'then they are the ones. "'They can destroy that thing, "'and you control them through that?' "'Gesturing towards the knife that Vivara has. "'No,' she responds, "'Satan's blood on the blade gave me authority to free them, "'but they are not puppets. "'The Ogdru-Jahad is their great crime,' They hope, I think, to find salvation in its destruction, starting here. But they can't just run free, Yosef says. If you need to, you'll be able to control them with a the dagger, yes? The weapon that slew the Lord of Darkness must still have great power. So it does, Vavara says, and she stabs Yosef in this giant panel. They color it all orange, too, for that dramatic effect. Your flesh has been dead for decades. Now, finally, this knife ends your soul. Ends it shatters it into thousands of fragments flung across all the universe. There will be no Yosef Necheko in the afterlife, not even in hell. Now you are nothing but endless shreds of agony. And we see, like, Yosef's, like, goo spilling out, and then it, like, forms, like, this flat, agony-looking Horrible. face, like, just sitting there. Oh, Horrible. that is so awful. Such a heartbreaking ending to this character. What'd you guys think about Man. that? Man. Terrible. Okay, so,
4: when, when they're talking and then blah, 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 and all of a sudden turned the page, and I was, I was like, what?
2: No. no. It's not surprising at all. It's just horrible to look at.
4: Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, mm. I, I mean, yeah. obviously it's not surprising, but
2: yeah.
4: it's still, I don't want it to happen. No, it's yet. horrible, I've, yeah. I've yeah. To, it's,
0: yeah.
4: I've come to really enjoy Joseph as a character. But, of course, I should have expected it, because this is the BPRD, the characters that I love, get murdered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Roger, Daimyo, now Joseph. Okay, we don't know if he has a, if Daniel got murdered, but he's not around no
1: more. Yeah,
2: I can't look at the face river.
1: Yeah, that's horrible, it. right? What you th- what was your reaction to that, Mark? It was exactly what I was thinking was coming. Oh, uh, yeah. It's one of those things where, like, um,
3: at the time uh, when I was doing the reviews, Brian Salvatore um, liked uh, Vivara and David Harper really liked Vivara. and they were both kind of like, oh, you know she's she's bad, but she's got a good sign like don't be cool by that.
2: she's evil
3: right she is straight up evil and you know like that that doing something like that to me that was the most Vivara
1: thing
2: I mean he did keep her in a jar for a super long time
1: right yeah but then that's such a good point mark because up until now Vivara has kind of been like this she's cool she's kind of like playfully evil. But she hasn't done anything too, like, messed up yet. And then here we kind of see that, yes, she is a villain. You know, she she's not on the side of, of the BPRD. You know, even though she had a good relationship with a professor, she really has an ulterior motive that is an evil thing. Yeah.
3: In her introduction in 1946, she was, you know, torturing people just for the fun of it. Yeah, you know, know. Like, yeah that's true. That's how she gets her kicks. Right. Now she's got this guy in front of her that's, um, you know, like... Been a thorn in her side for a while, and she's got this weapon that can make him suffer for all eternity. Great, I mean, yeah, she's she's gonna go for it.
1: Right, wow. I I, I really enjoy
4: Vivara as a character. I really I really enjoy her. But I mean, cause I always knew that this was just in her character that she would do something like this. Right, she probably would have done something like this to the Professor, had she given the opportunity,
0: hmm. even though the
4: Professor was her favorite human. You know, she's still in a demon, and then of course we know she's been trapped in a jar for what 60 years or something right, like that yeah but mm. i mean she's an immortal mortal like being that lived for thousands and thousands of years like 60 years is a blink in the eye true that's right, true yeah yeah i'm
3: trying to remember too if at this point i knew um if the next cycle was called the devil you know or not because i remember like It was one of those things where as soon as I heard the title, it's like, oh yeah, it's basically calling it BPRD, Vavara. Right,
1: yeah. (laughs) Wow. So, like I said, you know, you think about this, this is the end of the issue. So this is where we were left off, you know. This thing happened, this scene with Kate and Panya, and then we saw the headquarters destroyed, and then we get this scene with Yosef, and then the issue ends. And then we had to wait 30 days to figure out what was going to happen and like I, like I mentioned earlier, like I was holding out on something for Kate and Panya. I didn't want to believe that they were really gone. I was just kind of like, as a as a reader, I saw that the animal was escaping and I'm like, oh, you know, there's going to be a twist. There's going to show something. Shanshin came in at the last minute and did something. I don't know. But then at the end of the issue, you know, there's the hell mail section. And so we've talked about that section before. And usually in the Hellmail section, there would be a little blurb by Scott Alley, and then there would be all the letters. And so when we got to this issue, at the very end, there is no blurb by Scott Alley, and there's just one long letter. And the letter is by Hannah Means Shannon. She is the editing manager of Waxworks Comics, former senior editor of Heavy Metal, former editor of ComicCon.com, Dark Horse, and Bleeding Cool. And I believe she was editor at Dark Horse from 2015 to 2016. And so she has this letter. And it's a little long, but I really wanted to read it because this is kind of what we were left with at the end of that issue. Um, This is like, you're trying to kind of find yourself emotionally after you've read this thing. And then this is the letter that's at the end. It reads, I can't say that Kate Corrigan influenced my most formative choices in life as a scholar of mythology and folklore, but she later validated so many of them that it was almost overwhelming for me. To encounter a character in comics who seemed to look back at me as a fellow traveler as substantially as any of the antiquarian scholars I regularly mixed with was surprising to say the least. In fact, the feeling Kate must have had when she finally sat down to interview Hellboy in 1984 and realized her work was even more alive than she had previously suspected— that feeling similarly struck me when i met kate the 10 years i spent as a translator of medieval languages in one of the most beautiful libraries in the world, took me deep into the past, as far as the first written documents in the British Isles, at least. But it wasn't common for me to encounter the life I was familiar with in any form of visual media, really. There were a few films where the romance for antique lore was a particular flavor. I always loved the Indiana Jones films, for instance. Professor Jones and those glasses and that tweed. Not fooling anyone, least of all his co-eds. But finding Kate in comics was a whole different world of similarity and identification for me. The reality of Kate's existence is so firmly embedded in the details of her conception, her short flyaway hair, her love of earrings and chunky jewelry, the floofy tribal skirt that Liz comments on, somehow always stylish jackets. I know Matt brought up the jacket last week. The boots. I love it when she wears combat boots with skirts. Go Kate. But her particular voice is a huge part of the attraction, too. Every time she opens her mouth, her words sound like Kate. They are never simply a plot point, never just exposition. Though her knowledge of folklore makes her an excellent expositor. I don't think I've ever heard her voice devoid of emotion, either. Common tones are sympathetic. Angry tones are disappointed. There isn't a middle tone, a neutral voice for Kate. She speaks to everyone as individuals with a tailored response. What Kate has become over time is the pillar of BPRD, and even though we have watched it happen, we still ask ourselves, why? What about her makes her such an incarnation of the BPRD itself? Trying to figure out the role of the BPRD in relation to society at large has been more than challenging, nearly impossible at times. But Kate has been the adaptive central influence. She seemed to recognize two things all the way through. Her responsibility to her team, individually and as a whole, and her responsibility towards humanity at large. Those things could be mutually exclusive, but she makes them work. Page by page. I don't think she's ever taken for granted that this approach would work. She has deeply doubted her ability to juggle those contradictions. And in that conflict, we can see her as a character most clearly. If I have to single out one thing about Kate that made me, as a female comics reader, marvel, it's that she avoided being defined by some big central fault or flaw. She was not a character designed by blueprint or reductive reasoning. She could be lovely. She could be a bitch. She could be a little annoying. Uh, see, now I'm going to get a <laughs> She could be kind of great. She could be the best. There have been many male characters in comics who display this kind of range and development in personality, but all too few female characters who simply defy simple classification. And as we all know, that's when a character becomes real. Everyone who worked on the comics Kate appeared in contributed to the portrait by collage. And with that, they made comics not just a little better, but a lot better for all of us. Hannah Mean Shannon. Yeah, so... It's
2: true. You really don't get that forced, strong female character. Yeah. It's just like, she's a character this is badass, let's go. And those adventures were all better for it. And like she said, comics in general, the whole art form is better for it. You know, all every graphic novels in general are better for that. They're better for creators who invest so much time and effort and emotion on characters like this.
1: Yeah. And so I was trying to hold on to that shred of hope. And then you get to that letter at the end. And you read that and you're just like, oh, this is it. You know what I mean? And it was almost like that was the little eulogy. You know what I mean? Like that was like the and just like that really touched. Like I had a hard time getting through it right now. You know, when I first read it, I just remember being left with that issue, not knowing what's going to happen for 30 days. But it's like you still mourn this character. I just really love that letter by Hannah Mean Shannon. I thought that that was really well done how they did that. Did, did you um, did you read that letter, Mark, when that issue came out? Uh, no, I read that uh, much, much later. It wasn't included in the preview PDF.
3: So um, because I was reading these stories well ahead of their actual release, um, I actually got confirmation in the next issue.
1: Oh, so you had to wait. So it was still up in the air for you? Yeah.
3: I was really holding on to hope.
1: Yeah, me too. See, I totally get where you're coming from right there. Do you think if you had read that letter at the end, you would have lost that hope?
3: Probably, yeah.
1: That was uh, really emotional. And then to top it all off, when this next issue comes out, it's just got this stunning rendition of Kate by Duncan Fogredo, like right on the cover. And you're just like, ah, you know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah, but this
2: is also, and I hate to say this, this is also a, a great example of the death of a female character in... A graphic novel that's not a woman in a refrigerator. Oh, sure, yeah. This is not just a yeah. Well, it helps the plot along, so let's go ahead and kill her off because it helps this guy's story, you know, or something like that. You know, it's it's this is um her death is true to her character. Yeah, her, you know, and it, it, is, it is it's important because death is going to be a part of life. For I hate to get all philosophical and fucking esoteric and whatever. I hate to get all You know, intense on you guys, but you know, death is another part of, it's the final part of your life, all of our lives. And so that's to honor this character with this, you know, we're going on that journey with her and it's, it's, Mm. it's intense, but it's something that I thought it was handled very well. She, she gave it all, you know, she, that was her whole life was dedicated to giving it all up for this cause. So that's, you know, I don't think any of us can be disappointed in her. And that's that's something that's very, that's, that's, I was left with that, with that very strong message. That's what I was left with.
3: You know, the way she uh, passed, like, as you say, represented, like, you know, who that character was in such a great way. Like, you know, you have that stubbornness throughout the scene if she's not leaving without Panya, but coupled with that incredible empathy that the character has always had. Absolutely. (sighs) Sorry, she's my favorite character. So this really gets me.
2: Yeah,
1: um, yeah. That that was one, and that was actually one reason why I wanted to have you on this episode was because so that way you can kind of speak to some of that. And so, yeah, I really appreciate you uh, you going through this with us again.
4: (laughs) This part of me that was still holding out hope, uh, you know, that maybe because of all the animals and all that, and then of course what we'll see at the end of the issue and all that. But uh, I didn't know about that letter at the end of the issue, and so I was like, after listening to you read that, I'm like, damn it yeah you know because i mean this is a part of me the very end you know we haven't seen a body hate is an amazing character i mean she's one of my favorites and and and, and you know i don't want her to go out like this but i don't want anybody i don't want any of my favorites to go out ever you know yeah <laughs> and so it's just like this is great i mean she was always doing what she loved i mean she's always been the one to take charge she's always looking out for her people and then she died taking charge by looking after her people there you yeah. go
1: yeah
2: and to what you were saying earlier about like, oh, I, we didn't actually see her dead. Like, you know, there's we're trained to kind of be like, well, if you we didn't see you, they could come back because we're right. we're used to these, you know, characters that are almost like a 100 years old. But they're being they're being t- like, well, we got a brand new writer and we got a brand new right. artist. And so they want to bring him back. So then there's a. They're a clone. They're a space alien shapeshifter, or they're oh, they got resurrected by some cosmic magic, and now just because they want to tell another story with this character instead of just like, or they rebooted it, and it's none of that happened before, and so this is just a totally new story, and that that's okay. But it's like this is telling a specific fucking story. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And oh yeah, like that. So this is it's just a different kind of storytelling. It's a different kind that we don't get all the time, and so it's something that's like her death is going to fucking mean something if we're going to m- make it happen within the story. And so, you know, it's, you kind of have that little hope just because you are so used to this. Yeah. Well, you know, Captain America is going to be back or whatever sure, for his yeah. next adventure. But it's like, it doesn't work that way here. Yeah. And we know that. And so that's something that also, stri- so it was interesting that you say that because I, I kind of went through that too and briefly and I stopped myself and I'm like, that's not how this is going to work. is it? <laughs>
4: you know. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is this is the BPRD, and right. you know, and it's always just sad. But I mean, going back to like what you're saying is like how like we got a new writer team, and this isn't going to work here. It's just like the BPRD and Hellboy and the whole verse to me feels more like like a book series. It's a cohesive you know? story.
2: Yeah, it's it, not it, a. It feels like a,
4: It feels like a like like you know like like if you like look at like the Chronicles of Narnia or something like that. Fucking seven books done. It's over. Yeah, you know. Well, there's <laughs> we no... rebooted it. Nobody's redone it or anything, so that's why I feel like you know the Mangiola is more like a book series. It keeps moving forward, right? Whereas like other comic books are just commodity and property, sure, just to yeah, be and there's sold
2: and sold over and over again. Yeah, and there's there's no well, I didn't like this, so I'm not going to do that. We're going to do something else, and I'm yeah. just going to throw this away. All this this yeah. decades <laughs> worth of work that you've been doing, and are like, I don't like that shit. I can do my own shit. And it's like, no, we're not yeah, doing that, that here. We're problems. we're sticking with this fucking well-crafted yeah, story that I we love have. love that. God. And it's, um, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And that that makes it, you know, here we are. You're, we're all getting emotional. We're all talking about this. You know, it means something to us. Yeah. How, that's how to make something meaningful. That's yeah. how to make art. That's how to make a, a, a yes. real thing. Yes. And so that's, I appreciate that about this series. It's not like. I can't believe they killed off my fave. It's like, what did this mean to me personally? That's what we we end up talking about. Yeah, that's the difference. Yeah,
4: and I guess it's, it's just like you know, I am sad that like she dies, and Joseph dies, and Roger dies, and Daimyo, and Errol. I don't feel like the deaths are cheap. I don't feel like that they're yeah. just there to sell you a comic book. Yeah, it feels real. The it death of impactful. Superman. And that's what makes it, that's what makes it even worse because you know you know that these characters have reached the end of their life. That's yeah. Right. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: And that's what I'm saying. It's like you you felt something and it wasn't something cynical. It was something true and, and sincere. And that's, I think, the goal of any storyteller is going to be, and this is a team of storytellers. And so that gets even more complicated, but they've done their job well. You're going to feel something real and not something that's like, ah, tune in next week. Same bad time, same yeah. bad channel, you know? <laughs>
3: The other thing too is, of course, that they don't tell you they're going to die. Like you know, it's not like it's part of their uh, marketing strategy to oh, be like, yeah, yeah. Well, Tune in for this one. Yeah. This character is going to die. You know, yeah. it's you always discover the deaths of these characters on the page.
1: Right. Yeah.
3: And in and in in this particular case, perhaps even roll into the next issue, still holding out hope that they're alive.
1: Yes.
2: Well, you don't always get to prepare yeah. for someone's death. That's, yeah. you know what I mean? Especially not in, in situations <clears throat> of extreme, you know, when you're in a giant battle against monsters and shit. Like, you're not going to know. So.
1: Yeah. Good point. I love that. Yeah. There wasn't like, in this issue, someone dies or something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
4: Yeah. No, I just made, it just made
1: me think of like
4: fucking like how Marvel did the death of Wolverine comic book.
1: Oh, I'm like, right, yeah. No, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not buying that.
2: You had a whole death of <laughs> Superman. What What else can we do to this guy? I guess we'll kill him. Let's put a whole, it's a black bag on the
0: yeah.
2: comic, mm-hmm. and it's, it's like a whole thing around it. Like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah, yeah. I would... Uh.
4: honestly i did enjoy that death <laughs> that was 20 years ago uh, 30 man. years
1: ago i think differently now so on this next chapter we open yesterday at the headquarters and kate answers the phone it's phoenix calling kate you're still there phoenix ass turns out she told kate that something bad was going to happen at the hq she even told Nichols. And so that's what I think Nichols is going back for. When Nichols says, I have something to tell her, that's what I imagine, just from that little throwaway line, is that he's like, and Phoenix said we need to get out of here because something bad's going to happen. Or, I don't know.
4: See, I don't feel like that's what Nichols wants to talk to her about. I feel like Nichols, if he, Phoenix won Nichols, but I don't feel like that's what
1: Nichols wants to talk ah, okay.
4: to. I feel like Nichols wanted to talk to her more about the going back.
1: Oh. That's just
4: my opinion. This conversation
3: with Phoenix would have predated um, all of that. That would have been before um, Nichols had, like, you know, this is like full 24 hours ago.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Are you saying, yeah.
2: like, he already but, um, wasn't right in front of Kate and he could have said something then?
3: Yeah, exactly. He's had it mo- a couple of occasions already where he could have passed on that message.
2: Mm.
1: Wow. That's messed up. What a dick. After Phoenix tells her that something bad's going to happen. Kate looks at the monitor. She sees the Ogdruja head. Sweetheart, something bad is happening. Jeez. Kate tells her that they're already evacuating, and they'll be finished tomorrow. Today would be better, but okay, Phoenix says. And Kate, you'll get Bruiser out, right? You'll take care of my dog? And there's just like a beat of Phoenix on the other line. Kate? Yeah, yeah, sure, Kate responds. <laughs> I'll take care that of the dog. That gets me.
3: Yeah, so now we know what the deal with the dog was. Phoenix knew what was going to happen ahead of time, and she was trying to cheat fate. She knew that Bruiser was going to survive, and she thought she could tie Kate's fate to his.
1: Oh. So she left him in Kate's care. Delivery. Oh, I like that. Wow, that's an amazing reveal, Mark. Wow, that is so. so... It was an attempt to save her. Yeah, she and was it trying. Really, to... really gets me. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. I, I never even caught that until now. That's so insightful. Yeah, and really sad, too. She was trying to save her in that moment. Wow. So then we cut to now, and we see this enormous ogrehem over the remains of the HQ, which Jeez. has just been obliterated. And so we can it's like see... It's heartbreaking to see that. I know, and we see their reaction, too. Nichols has a reaction as they see it, too. They look on in astonishment. Nichols hasn't given up hope yet, but the pilots say they'll get killed if they get any closer for Nichols to search the rubble. Anyway, it's getting too hot around here for us mere mortals. And as they say that, we see this flaming fist from one of the giants, and we kind of pan out. I really like these transitions by Lawrence Campbell. He does this a couple times where he introduces the element of the next scene on that closing of that previous scene's dialogue.
4: It's also nice because it gives us a sense of
1: Ew. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And so we see this flaming fist of one of the giants and we get this outstanding image by Campbell and Stewart of the Giants fighting the Ogdra Jihad. I really love all this, you know, just that incredible sense of scale. You know, we've talked about this tons of times, but it's just so epic. I mean, it's awesome. Lawrence Campbell can draw anything. And as we pan out, we see Vivara. She's there and she's holding the dagger and she marvels at the sight. Look at them, majestic and powerful. Is it truly to happen before my eyes? Is the world to be saved today? Can the angels bring down their child of thunder? And she asks Nacheko what he thinks. If only I had let you live to see your planned triumph, yes? Who will dance with me now, she asks, And we see Yosef's puddle face looking up all dead-eyed. Oh, that is so heartbreaking, too, man. So we cut over to Liz... And we see her in the motel still asleep. And over with Johan, he's being briefed. I assume they're telling him that the headquarters was destroyed and Kate and Ponya are gone. Who else have you told, Johan asks. The agents say Manning wants Johan to verify it. Redding over his shoulder nags at Johan to tell them the truth. How you can sense the whole world is slipping away one life at a time. But Johan ignores him. And he tells them, Dr. Corrigan is gone. Panya, too. And Director Nacheco. And I didn't know he could die, Johan says. So that's where we get our confirmation. At least for me, you know. Even after that letter, you know, you still gotta wait for them to tell you. And so that's where they finally kind of, like, revealed that. And Johan would know. Yeah. Johan tells them how he insisted Liz rest at the hotel. He took her away from her post near the headquarters. In light of that... I suppose I should be the one to tell her. This is amazing. And then he imagines how that's going to play out, <laughs> yeah. right? I've, yeah, that's, that's fucking,
2: <laughs> It's good. It's good.
1: I love these panels. They kind of have a faded quality to them because it's kind of like him imagining how that's going to play out. Yeah. And we see Liz. She's like pointing and yelling at him, followed by the motel on fire. Beat. Or it might be better if someone else were to tell her, Johan says. <laughs> Phoenix Nichols says... But Johan says she's too young and she liked Kate, too. Liz should tell her. What about Tian? They go way back. And remember when Liz first came back to the Bureau, they had this moment where Tian came out and he's like, hey, you're back, you're son of a gun, or whatever. (laughs) You know what I mean? They kind of had that moment, so it kind of let us know that they have a backstory together.
3: Yeah, so this is one of those things where um, we're really seeing how the real suit has changed Johan in a positive way here, because he suddenly able to sense people in a way that he hasn't been able to before. And you see him doing something that we haven't seen him do in the previous two suits, something that he really struggled with. He's actually predicting people's emotional reactions and trying to compensate for that. Right. He's trying to, you know, like look after Liz, you know, her her emotional health here. You know, that um, suggestion of Tian is really, really observant. And it's something that, before he got the sledgehammer armor, he wouldn't have been capable of that.
1: No, that is such a great point. And he even thinks about how, oh, what well, can't be Phoenix, Liz should tell her. You know, I mean, he's even thought that far ahead too. That's Yeah, that's a great little detail is that he normally does not think about other people's feelings or how they're going to take you know, certain things that he's done. I mean, we saw that was so um, well exemplified in that scene where he took over Enos just like nothing and then was wondering why everybody was so upset. So, yeah, this is a total changeover for him. Mm. I
3: have to also mention on that previous page, that moment when when he confirms the deaths of all the characters. Uh, so, I, as I said before, I'd been holding out hope, and when I got to that page, I broke yeah like I I don't remember how long but I think I was like staring at a wall for maybe an hour before I continued
1: Oh, oh my god yeah yeah, that was hard to read. And so, and then you didn't have that letter either. So, like, you it, maybe, yeah. um, I kind of already had predicted that this is probably how it was going to play out. But yeah, for someone who didn't have, they almost, that was almost a little buffer for us readers. So I could see it being a lot more upsetting if you're just kind of thrown into it. And we'll, we'll talk about it later. But the manner, the way that they talk about it is very just kind of military and, There isn't a lot of emotion about it, and that kind of hurt me, too. You know, that kind of made it a little bit more difficult in the way that it's dealt with, but I'll talk about that a little bit more later. Mm -hmm. Nichols checks, and Tian is back on the base. Johan says he and Nichols will take care of that, and he tells the other agent to schedule a reconnaissance flight to learn more about the Giants. Hard to imagine that they will be good news for us, but who knows, Johan says and Nichols is like, I can just go get tea on myself. No, he's going to need much more detailed directions than that, Johan says. Nichols says he wanted to search the rubble, but Johan knows Kate's dead, right? He mentions Johan's power. Johan says if he could do that, he would have already. In any case, the armor has no valves. There's no way to let the ectoplasm out, unless the armor gets damaged. And if that should happen, with all my containment suits destroyed at the headquarters, well, I'm not sure exactly what would become of me. Join the club, Nichols responds.
3: Jeez. Nichols is carrying some pretty heavy guilt at the moment.
2: Yeah, he's in the denial
3: oh, right. phase there. Oh, right, yeah. Like, and
2: bargaining. He's like, oh, maybe you could do something about it. Maybe yeah. you can help her.
3: That line there, too, where he's, you know, I'm not sure what would become of me, and him saying join the club, coming from someone who is devoutly religious like Nichols is, saying join the club speaks to the level of guilt that he's feeling. I think he's honestly uh, doubting whether he's a good
1: person at that time.
0: Mm.
1: Right, yeah. Over with the Ogdra Jihad and the Giants. So we get some amazing panels here. And like it doesn't look good, you know. The Andrujahad jihad is like frying these oh, yeah, giants and stuff like look. that. Yeah,
2: <laughs> he turned them into skeletons.
1: And we see the pilots flying around too. Damn! Now we got giant men, giant freaking human beings. Listen to you. How can you be surprised by anything at this point? One of them says, "Haven't you figured out by now? You can't make sense of this world. Not anymore." Yeah, but giant men.
2: It's not the most outrageous thing in this scene, even. Yeah, <laughs> much less like really, what's right? happened in general. Like this guy is—I is, would be—I I think that would also be my reaction to be like, "Really, you're? This yeah. is what gets you? <laughs> this is this?"
1: Guess we can see how that's going. And yeah. as we pan out, we see all the dead giants, like there. And the Ogdra had just like roaring and everything he does as seem all this. He,
2: getting, he seems like a chunky boy now.
1: Yeah. I don't know if like maybe the power is like making him bigger as he's defeating these guys or I don't know what, but it just seems to be getting huger it's and more enormous. Holy poly
2: boy. Maybe he's like
1: puffing up like you know Right. Like
4: a puffer fish. Yeah. Sure, yeah. <laughs> or in his fighting mode.
1: Right.
2: So really, there yeah, you go, there you yeah. go. He's got his uh, nuclear attack coming.
1: As they fly off, one of the pilots says, we're Oscar Mike and heading home. Oscar Mike comes from the military radio jargon used on the front lines. It translates to on the move. To us being Oscar Mike means being active, staying positive and living life to its absolute fullest. Huh. That's Mm. that's interesting.
2: Or could you just be like, all right, I got the milk and eggs of Oscar Mike. I'm (laughs) on my way home. Yeah, yeah. You know?
1: <laughs> anyway, that's just that's from Wikipedia.
2: That's fun.
1: And the pilot says, No heroes to see here as they fly Jeez. past this like skeleton one. And then they see Vivara. She's like there waving on the mountain Jeez. side. Davis, you see that? Did you see what was on that mountain? Oh, for Christ's sakes, Andrews, the other one says, <laughs> what'd you see? Another oozing, pus filled monster with a hundred eyes and a hundred <laughs> arms? Who cares, man? Let's just get the frig out of here. I gotta say, I kind of, I feel for that guy. I
2: really feel for that guy. He's had it. He's seen it. He's seen enough. He doesn't give a shit. I just love that
1: panel with Vivara waving. Yeah, it's as good. You, You're seeing this giant destructive thing, and then you see this little girl good. just in this like period dress. Anyway, yeah,
2: no, that's it's a awesome. great
1: moment. And you know, of course, he was probably looking for confirmation because he's like, "Holy shit, am I losing my mind?" Yeah,
4: yeah. Davis, do you see that?
2: The guy's <laughs> well, just Andrews. like, "Who gives a fuck?" I'm too busy flying the damn jet. Yeah. <laughs> oh man he doesn't want to see anything else too he's also just like i don't need it right it's fine (laughs) over
1: at the base we see phoenix and she's being reunited with bruiser i love how she's like hey hey, bruiser
2: the only person that apparently cares about this dog
1: she says oh you know thanks for getting bruiser i owe you one not me you don't i'd have left him behind but dr corrigan Nichols, come on, I know, she says. That's why you guys keep me around, right? Because I can tell you about stuff before it happens? Not that it does anyone a crapload of good if you don't listen to me. Someone's got to tell Liz, she says.
2: She even knew that they weren't going to listen to her.
1: Wow, yeah. She was yeah. just like, I guess I yeah.
2: have to say this and go through the motions of it. But,
1: you know, the human thing is to still try. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Yeah. there
2: you yeah. go, exactly that.
1: And Nichols says, they've got that covered. So then we get this scene with tian And I love this scene. So, you know, like, one of the things that was hard for me reading all this, you know, it's obviously very emotional. But the way they talk about Kate's death, like, we haven't seen anyone get upset. We haven't seen, like, that cathartic moment. And, like, as a reader, I needed that. You know what I mean? Like, I I was waiting for some sort of, I don't know what, you know what I mean? But I needed something to kind of help me cope with that and, and close that out and then not just be like oh well, yeah we know that that happened you know what I mean and we're just going to move on because it's hell on earth and we have to. This is a
2: great scene though it's a perfect scene because it's also not always like that it's not always a big dramatic ah gonna uh, gonna take it out on the whole world you yeah. know like yeah that's how you feel sometimes but like the reality of having to deal with it is there's nothing you can fucking do about it yeah. you just have to start dealing with it and this is just such a beautiful way of conveying. Again, we keep talking about these are people. They're conveying human emotions. They're dealing with right. it. In, in, and it's just such an inc- it's It's such good storytelling. It's really good.
1: And so we see Liz. We get this beautiful sky by Dave Stewart. And she's looking up at the sky on top of the Humvee. And she just says, God damn. At least she didn't suffer, Liz. Happened really quick. And she wasn't alone. She wasn't scared, Tian says. Yeah, great. Ponya's dead too. That comforts me a whole hell of a lot, Liz responds.
2: But it's not about you. Yeah. Is it? And that's, oh, that that hit me the most. That had the most impact on me, that line. That's incredible.
1: And she's like, yeah, that's what everyone keeps telling me.
2: And I think that's also, that kind of comes through the page straight to the reader. Yeah. In my opinion, because that's just like, oh, my favorite character. It's not about you.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, They're also telling us, this too. This is the
2: power of, of the story that we're telling. Sure. Her death is not fucking about you. It's her death. Yeah. And that lends even more strength to the yeah. character, to the story, that it's like a... Yeah, it's just so good. It's good. Sorry.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And she even knows that this was Johan's idea, right? She's like, driving me up here before letting me know. And he's like, uh-huh. I like how he just flicks the cigarette. Like, he's just like, yeah, you know.
2: I mean, I don't, don't do that. I don't like that. That's right. a habitat. Don't do that. But yeah, no. I mean, it's, it's cool for make-believe characters to do, but sure. please don't flick <laughs> your fucking cigarette into the wilderness. It's not okay.
1: <laughs> Pretty smart, but it wasn't necessary, Liz says. I'm not angry at him or anybody, just sad yeah that's uh Mm -hmm. god the writing on this is so good Mm -hmm. and then she ends it she's just like got a coffin now for me always and so he gives her a cigarette and she's just like see you around t-man and she just starts walking off really great i really love that scene i really love that panel that just sad yeah
3: Yeah. Yeah. the way it's framed composed you know like her back to tn and everything like you know it tells you right away that she's compartmentalizing; she's not
2: dealing with this. Yes, right. Precisely that.
4: The artwork and the beauty of these like two pages back to back. I mean, they're just so beautiful, and the t- the scene is touching and all that. But I got a random question after reading all this. Was Liz just out of smokes, or did she, as she quit smoking and just wanted a final one? I guess she, she ended was busy out. fighting Najee with her hands, so she can't stop off to the store and buy herself a pack of.
1: Right, food. yeah, but
4: maybe she finally quit.
2: Wait, I didn't get that impression <laughs> at all. Why would she quit?
1: Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's an interesting question. I guess she just didn't have any from being in battle or something like that. Yeah. Over with Johan, he blasts, like, a hole through that Ogdruhem that's over the BPRD headquarters. I want to say, like, he does that also, too, out of, like, an emotional or maybe, like, you know, like, get away from that thing or whatever. You can't be over there. But I really like that panel as well. And we get this nightmare-inducing page from Campbell and Stewart. And we see all the Ogdruhem, like, all these numerous mounds going off in the distance. And then the awful Ogdrujahad behind it roaring. Incredible, incredible monster work here. Redding tells Johan that he knows he can't even do his part and protect the ones he cares about. All the power the armor gives you, and you can't even do that. I hated that feeling, Redding says. And we see Johan like looking at his hands at the vril glowing there. And we cut over and we get this page of Liz. And so, you know, she left that scene with Tien and she's walking off. And she takes like a drag from her cigarette and then she just looks at it. And then we like pull way back and we see Tien sitting against the truck and then followed by this explosion of fire as Liz takes off. And so, you know, this was that moment that I was waiting for. Yeah. Like this was that. And I just remember like this page really stuck with me of any of like getting emotional on any page. This was the one where I finally felt like I could have a moment. You know what I mean about all this? And there was mm. like some mourning and there was some emotion. And it wasn't just this cold like, oh, Dr. Corrigan's dead, but we still got to fight the oxygen ahead, And so we're going to keep going. Like, here's a moment where they pause and they kind of, I don't know. T- to me, that was a... It was just a very impactful page. And just something about the way Liz, like, looks at her cigarette. Like, what is she looking at? It's
2: very cathartic.
1: Yeah, what What does this moment mean? This, oh, it's an exceptional example of uh,
3: what we were talking about with um, Lawrence Campbell. How, like, he expresses emotion through distance. Yeah. You know, like, this takes that concept and pushes it to its most extreme. He takes an extremely interior emotion and externalizes it in that final panel it's just unbelievably awesome
1: it is and so i mentioned on a previous episode that i had been eyeing a page from lawrence campbell and so this is actually that page that i was talking about
2: he's getting out of thing oh what oh wow
1: Yeah, so this is the page that I bought from Lawrence Campbell, and it's so amazing, yeah. And so this was, you know, it's not an action-filled page, it's not a right-hand-of-doom-boom page or whatever, but for me, this was a page that I had been, I had been watching this page for over a year on his website, and it finally went on sale, Um, this was in December of last year, and so I just had to pull the trigger on it, and I've been sitting on it all this time. This and so amazing. yeah, I really love this page. And I think there's a couple cool things about it. Yeah. You know, um Ross Radke mentioned on a previous episode that when he saw some of James Heron's art, he was surprised that it wasn't like super clean. And you can kind of see like Lawrence Campbell has painted over parts of Liz. You know, like, I think maybe her hand was doing something else in that first panel. Or something like that. Yeah. And then you would also see the amount of work that Dave Stewart is doing. Because the sky and all the stars, like, that's all Dave Stewart. You know what I mean? That is not on the page. Well,
2: and you see the the little brush strokes in the painting around the the fire and the explosion and stuff. And how... Delicate and intricate yeah. it is. It looks like you know on a painting. It's
1: yeah. So this is really incredible. And wow, I wanted to show you on yeah. the on the episode. Aubrey and uh, Mark already knew that I that I bought this. I page. haven't seen that. Yeah. Yeah. But so I'm really excited to get this framed, and it just means a lot to me. You know, in terms of like the emotional part of this story and getting to where we are and everything. This page kind of encapsulated all those different things for me.
4: Yeah, I remember. uh it was around Christmas when you were telling me about this page being on sale Uh, and you were telling me that, you know, it's like, it's not a big action scene. It's just like a, a quiet moment. And, but it really resonated with me. And I was like, okay, cool. And then uh, when I'm reading this and like that, and then you texted me earlier this week, you're like, this is the page I got. And I'm it's this page. I'm like, Oh, now I get what you were telling me. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, this is a, it's a wonderful scene, but it's not an action-packed scene, but it is a, a touching, very moving, beautiful scene. And then the Clarence Campbell's artwork is amazing. And Dave Stewart, because I'm sitting here flipping back between the, the page you sent me and then the, the colored one, and I'm just like,
0: wow.
1: Huh. Yeah, wow. yeah, really cool. Yeah, so I, I'll share that on our social media this week. So that's one Ryan doesn't have. <laughs> that's right. And the pacing of this scene with Redding's dialogue is also really amazing as well. As this scene is happening, we hear Redding, he's still talking to Johan. Sure, you can move a mountain, but you can't control people. You show them the fire, and they can see what it does, how it burns, and what do they do? And then we see Liz take off in that huge explosion. They go and they stick their hands in anyway, Redding (laughs) says. And Johan's like, are you talking about me or you? You're sticking your hands in, aren't you, Redding-ass? And you'll get burned. Johan blasts the oxygen hand with real energy and it turns its enormous head and it just blows all this green fire at Johan, <laughs> totally engulfing him.
3: I think this is where we get to understand
1: Redding a little better now.
3: I mean, because that whole thing being that, um, you know, he he left everything behind. He was detached. Um, when he, you know, joined with the Infinite and all that sort of stuff. But once Johan stepped into that suit, he's reconnected to a person again. And so everything we've been seeing with him up to this point when he's talking to Johan, it's him grappling with that aspect of himself, this I'm connected to a person again. And we know from what we've seen of him in the past, he can't let that go. He's desperately trying to save Johan
1: right wow yeah that's another way to look at it i love that will you die then ready to ask will heaven or hell even be there for you or will you stay will you stay on earth alone jumping from body to body trying to stay alive clawing and scratching and clutching desperately just so you can hold on to what and we see these great panels where they're like recreating what that would be like and we see johan you know jumping from body to body in just this horrible hell on earth surrounded by the remains and skulls of all these dead people and johan's like stop it i don't want to be afraid anymore please please stop it that's exactly what i'll do reading responds and i love this too as we see like first it's the vril armor but then we kind of see johan the man stand up while the armor is still on its knees or whatever within this other realm i just really love that kind of what what that says with the art you know what i mean when the all is you redding says and you are the all there is no fear there are no boundaries between you and space and time and matter there is no line between this universe and all possible universes what is what was what will be what can be what can never be The infinite is yours. As Redding is saying all this, we see Johan, the man. He's got his eyes closed. And then behind him, we see the earth. And then we see all these other earths when he says, and all possible universes. So we kind of get this idea. He's looking across all these different timelines or multiverses or whatever. And we see more of the void. And then on this last panel, when he says the infinite is yours, we see Johan's face in all white. Oh my God, he says. And that's it? And that's, that's how a, that issue ends? amazing yeah. page. I also like
4: how, like, as it's pulling out from Johan's face, his head and then his body is always in the center eye of the Sledgehammer
1: camera. Yeah, I love that. It's just an amazing layout on this page. And this is where it starts to get real heady and you're like, okay, what is going on here? What's going to happen? You know, what a great way to mm-hmm. end that issue.
3: So back when they were preparing for the final two arcs, they were doing these posters saying the impossible will happen. And yeah, there's a lot of impossibility that does end up happening over these arcs. And this is this is getting pretty close to it. I think I'll
1: save uh, that conversation till we have finished, though. Chapter five. So here we get this amazing cover. I love this cover by Duncan Fogredo, where we see Johan just drifting through space, you know. And we get those little stars, like, from the other realm. We've seen those a couple times. And when you put the whole thing together, this one is just a great topping on the end of it. We open on Millholland Air Force Base. We've seen this base a couple times now. It's kind of like their new headquarters for now. And Nichols is surprised to see Tien alive and safe. She was okay hearing about Dr. Corgan's death, he asks. I wouldn't say okay, but she'll manage, Tian responds. He said he's never seen her powers like that. Nichols asks where she is. Where the hell do you think she is? And we see Liz flying off. She's got this determination... And, you know, I love those, like, fire trails coming out of her eyes as well. Just a really spectacular panel. We cut to Liz, and she's just, like, flying through the Ogdraham, Just, like, the monster work and the kinetic energy by Campbell is just stellar in these panels. It's really hard to describe in this audio format, so you got to check out these pages of Liz just, like, blowing through these things. And I like how she lands on the ground, and she's, like, two more down. In her battle, she wonders where Johan is. He sends Tion to break the news to me and goes where? And then she fries another Ogdrahem. Three down, one million to go. And we see the ogdra in the background amidst this giant horde of all these Ogdrahim across the landscape. These panels are so terrifying where they pull back and they just show you how many monsters and all these things are there. It's really just like you just get this hopeless feeling when you see this. Johan's given up maybe and Kate's dead. Hellboy's dead. And Abe's God knows where. And me and you. And Liz looks at the ogdra had. You're just going to keep spitting them out? It's like fighting the rain. And Liz blows up in this huge blast. She like almost goes supernova or something. Like It's almost like, is she just that tiny speck in the middle of that white? Is that the scale of this thing? Yeah. Yeah, it's truly awesome. And we focus within the flames and... And I love how Campbell does this because, like, the shading, you know, Liz is all within the fire. How he's able to, like, define her body in there is so cool. I just really am blown away by those panels. You've got a million more babies. I'll kill them all, she says. And we focus in on her face with those fire trails coming out of her eyes. Two million, five million, ten. Suddenly, she's somewhere else. She's, like, snapped out of it. Johan's hand is on her shoulder. And she's like johan and when she turns around she's on the base nichols runs up to her we thought you were off monster killing
3: yeah me too she says the moment when she transports
1: does that seem familiar to you oh from um is that similar to like what happened at the end of king of fear is that what you're talking about it very much
3: is like look at the layouts there right down to the hand that was on the shoulder and is no longer on the shoulder and yeah Uh, it's it's really really similar and I think that's just a really subtle way to say that, you know, like that power that Shonchin had at the end of King of Fear, that's the kind of power that Johan's harnessing now.
1: Wow. Yeah, no, I didn't catch that parallel. I'm gonna have to go back and put those side by side. That's amazing. Yeah, but you're absolutely right, okay? That gives so much more insight into what's happening here also. Nichols tells her she's on the Air Force Base. Godzilla and the rest of the clan are 60 miles that... In the name of Jesus, what is that? And we see this huge lightning hole open up in the sky above the chaos and just tremendous work here. It looks like, you know, the fabric of space is opening up or something.
4: Like the fabric of reality is opening right, up.
1: Right, yeah. We see johan fly up and come face to face with the ogre Jihad. He says he's stupid redding's been telling him all along but he wasn't listening this is not what i told you redding responds how many times did you have to say it and still all i could see were limits only obstacles i couldn't get past believing that this armor was the key to my success in this battle that the real energy it channels was my only power but you told me you told me the infinite is mine and we see johan like coming up right up to the maw of the ogre jihad it like takes up the whole bottom half of the page and we see the ogre jihad just engulf johan in the green fire and the sledgehammer armor is being totally obliterated in the other realm redding says yes if you let go and become one with the infinite it's yours no johan says i will not become one with it and we see the sledgehammer armor get totally destroyed and come flaming in pieces out of the sky it's already mine I have the power of the infinite, Johan says. Infinite power. I ignite the suns, I turn the planets and the heavens. You don't know what you're doing, Redding says. And I break you. And we see Johann, just the spirit of him is still there. I guess that's the ectoplasm. When he says, I break you, we see the neck of the Oxyja head start cracking. These panels are so amazing, too, the amount of motion that's being conveyed. It's just paced really well. And we're followed by this tremendous double splash page of the ogre jihad being cracked and all this inner light destroying it from within you still want to be the hero you want to save them already and says you can detach yourself from the past from your selfhood and the irony is what you're doing will consume your soul and why you can see what's coming you know you're only delaying the inevitable all life or a single life johan says if i delay death countless years or just one second it's worth it. And as he's talking, like, the ectoplasm is, like, fading away or it's, like, dispersing. And when he says it's worth it, it's just, like, his mouth left. I love that so much. That's so amazing.
3: I like that smile there. It's, it's one of those things. We've been on this long journey with him where he's had this huge wall between him and other people. And his ending ultimately ends up with him being so connected to other people on such a fundamental level that he does the most human thing of all and actually, like, lets his soul be consumed to save everyone, even if it's temporary.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, I love that line. If I delay death countless years or just one second, it's worth it. That's really amazing.
3: It just feels like he finally became the person he wanted to be, you know?
1: Yeah, what a great way. And we he's come such a long way in these last couple arcs. They've really focused on his character development coming to the end of this Hell on Earth cycle. And then we reveal this amazing double splash page where the Ogre Head is just being totally obliterated, just like all cut into pieces. And it like goes through that portal and then it ends up like somewhere out in the middle of space. We see all those pieces kind of like floating through. We see, like, its head all coming apart and stuff like that. And so that's really satisfying after all of this, to see that something could actually hurt this thing is a huge, like, revelation and a huge, like, win for the reader. I mean, in spite of all things, you know, that have happened, it still feels good to be able to come to this.
4: So the odds you had has always been, like, you know, the seven who are one, right? So is it just the one of the seven that's been destroyed? Or is it all of it has been destroyed? Or... Have two been destroyed with this one being destroyed here and then when Hellboy defeated one at the end of uh, The Storm and the Fury, was that two been destroyed? So that's just my question. Oh, right. To- yeah. Do we have, Do we have six or five left? Right. Or is that it? If we go <laughs> on with the odds you had. <laughs> I very
2: much doubt that that's it. Yeah. For sure.
3: Um. At the end of The Storm and the Fury, there's an epilogue where they um, state quite explicitly that none of the um ogdru have
1: died, but they're wounded. Mm. Oh, they're wounded. Okay. So then okay, we, so, so we would so still have one of, one six, of six left. Yeah. Yeah. You know. yeah. Wow. Jeez. So we just need Johan to do this six more times. Yeah, I
0: don't
1: know. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, he sacrificed <laughs> yeah. himself. What an amazing ending to that character, too. So, God, we've wrapped up so many things. We've got, in this story arc, we had the death of Panya, Kate, Joseph and Johan as well, which is, I mean, the, where they said they were breaking things that could not be fixed. Yeah, yeah. This is kind of what they were talking about. The impossible will happen. So what exactly happened? Like, what did happen there? They they kept saying that, like, the infinite, and they showed all those earths. Like, did he channel the power of all the different, like, what, what exactly? It still kind of boggles my mind of right. what, how, what really happened right there.
2: The concrescence well, it, it, the singularity it, of it, Johann.
4: it seems like he just was able to tap into the infinite of the universe of all things and was able to just kind of sort of like you know it was like I, I see the universe, I am the universe of working of all things and was just able to rip the oxygen had to apart. I don't really know much
1: more we can say
2: about it. Yeah, yeah. became a demiurge. What is that? That's it. Never mind. It doesn't matter. (laughs) There's a part of me,
3: like, I think the uh, fabric of reality has been altered somewhat. Sure.
1: Right, yeah.
3: So there's this, like, kind of running thing that, you know, they were always saying the impossible will happen. And I think the most impossible thing that has happened was not actually an Ogdru Jahad being killed or an Ogdru drew jihad being separated from the other uh six which was you know as we know pretty impossible because o'donnell was freaking out about it right it's that we got a flash forward that we saw all the way back in king of fear and we were told repeatedly that this is not what could happen this is what will happen and it didn't I mean, like, all the way through Hell on Earth, we were shown, like, little flashes of, like, what's going to happen and everything. You know, like, with Devon becoming muscular and um, the large um, helicarrier thing that's going to come into it. All these little bits and pieces. And, you know, it, every step along the way through Hell on Earth has been confirming that we're on that path. And then Kate and Panya died. And now we're in new territory.
1: Right. And
3: that, to me, is the impossible that will happen.
1: Oh, I love that, Mark, because... You're right, when we saw that flashback in, or that flash forward in King of Fear, Panya and Kate were there. They were on the team, Mm -hmm. and like, Joroko had been killed, and the helicarrier was smashed, but yeah, like, Panya and Kate dying, that kind of changed things, because then they can't be in that flash forward or whatever. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that you tried that together. I like to think about, like,
3: when that rift occurred, and all I can really come up with is that, Simply by seeing what the future would become, changed Liz in some fundamental way, and that's had a ripple effect.
2: Because um, if you
3: if you go back and um, read through again, you'll see how like immediately following and seeing that future, Liz breaks. Like she was basically she was on this stage where she just killed um, Memnunzar, and she was angry and powerful. And then all of a sudden she lost her power and she felt powerless and she was just in this real low point and she had to pull herself up out of that and become something even more powerful than before. And I'm just thinking that if she never saw that vision, if that never happened, then she would have gone down into the hollow earth with Abe. She would have burnt all those frog monsters in a, you know, like furious rage and she wouldn't have had that breaking moment. So that breaking moment would have come later. Right. And I would, my, my take on it is basically at this point in the story with this final battle with this old Jihad on earth in that version of reality, she would have been at her low when she's powerless or just unable to fight it instead of being this powerhouse that she is. Yeah. And that's had a ripple effect that's changed everything.
1: Yeah, that's incredible, because I've always thought back on that flash forward from King of Fear, like, why does it show Kate and Ponya there, and then they died? Like it didn't, That never made sense to me, but like, it does make total sense, and uh, I love the way that you have kind of succinctly wrapped all that up. Um, that's a huge revelation to me, and it answered so many questions that I had about that. I'm glad that we could finally talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I,
3: I still feel like we have a lot more to talk about, because there's still so much more to come, but that's at least the foundation of
2: it
1: yeah yeah I like that we cut over to this beautiful panel by Dave Stewart and Lawrence Campbell we see all this wildlife
2: yeah super cute we
1: see like a little hummingbird what's this other little bird here that's tweeting
2: I don't know I tried to look up the birds that are native to specifically Pasadena mm-hmm. California there's a Pasadena Audubon oh, Page and all okay. this stuff and so um, there's a lot of different wonderful species in this area. The one that most closely resembles this illustration, I would say, would be a it but I'm not exactly sure. But because they they look a little fluffier and rounder than okay. this guy, this guy kind of looks a little tiny bit like our mockingbirds, except for the banding around the eyes. So That's what
1: I thought it was a mockingbird. I'm
2: really area. not sure. I really don't know. It's just super cute.
1: Yeah, and we see this building. It says temporary BPRD headquarters, Pasadena, California. Well, so, I, of course, I had to do a little bit of research because I'm trying to find this building, and I couldn't find an exact uh, building that looked like it, but it did have a lot of resemblance to the Hotel Green, which is an old hotel that was in California. The hotel was built in 1893 by George Gill Green and was later expanded by him with two additional buildings in 1898 and 1903, creating a complex of three structures. The Hotel Green was the home of the Valley Hunt Club and the Tournament of Roses Association. And so, that building also has, like, these spires with the red on top. We go inside the office, and we see Devon, Nichols, Liz, Jeroco, and then, who is this last person? Is that Staz in the green? I think that's Staz, yeah.
4: Okay, so, we're talking about, well, they're talking about, like, we're going to see the impossible happen in this series. I think this panel right here, Andrew Devon, field director, that's the
1: impossible. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell, guys? How yeah. Did he get the promotion? Exactly, and so
2: because he's willing to put up with the oh, bullshit, come on, probably the
3: bureaucrats would
4: love him.
1: Yeah, you're right. But you know, you know how we feel about Devon. <laughs> but I, oh, I, yeah. but I think it's so interesting because you know Kate was an NYU professor, and then she became field director. And Devon, if you remember, like in that storyline with the marquee, you know, he was just like a little assistant trying to set up this book deal. He basically set up for them to buy the book from the marquee, and then now he's field director. So I think that's just interesting how these people, who are just like academians, end up becoming field director for the BPRD eventually.
4: (laughs) He's still got something against Abe.
1: Yeah, so he's asking for the duty roster. The internet's spotty, so he can't find it. Liz says, screw the roster, and you still haven't said anything about Abe. What about Johan, Devon asks? Ain't nothing at all about him, Nichols responds. They found what was left of the armor two months ago. If he was going to show up, wouldn't he have by now? Guy saves the world, but let's just give up on him, Liz says. And she goes to the window to smoke, so there we see that she's still smoking. Oh, that could have been a relapse. Yeah. Devon says, they don't know that. And he asks why Liz is even there. Isn't she supposed to be killing a monster in another Californian city, Eureka? Until you find that duty roster, you won't know, will you, boss? She responds. (laughs) Liz says, it's not like they're going anywhere. The Ogdraham have been frozen since their mama got whacked.
2: She's going to give him so much shit.
1: Right. (laughs) I'm so excited
2: for it. I'm so excited for her.
1: She says the rest of the world is trying to live with it. Why can't you? And so we see, I thought this was an interesting reveal too. They're just like stone statues now, yeah. you know, and people are just like living their lives around it. We see like people just doing regular things in their neighborhood with this giant monster just kind of sitting there in the background. It do be
2: like that sometimes.
3: Not just regular things. It's a thematic connection to the beginning that the uh, woman in the corner there is picking tomatoes.
2: Yeah.
3: Oh, right.
1: Yeah. That's great. Thank you for bringing that up.
2: Can I just say also, apropos of nothing, I love Liz's, she's just, she's gone extreme tactical goth at this point. Oh yeah. She's just gone for it.
1: (laughs) Devon says people are eager to get their lives back on track, but if those monsters suddenly take it easy, Liz says, she's heading out. Devon asks Jeroko where Phoenix is. Didn't I hear she got assigned to a mop-up mission in Europe with the Russians? No, wait, that was Howard's. I love that panel right there, because first they show it with Phoenix, and then they're like, no, wait, that was Howard's. It's kind of a comical panel. I I really like that. Yeah, Oh, yeah, it's pretty cool. And we see Howard's with Leonid in front of the Eiffel Tower, and they're blasting away at those cricket monsters that we saw in Reign of the Black Flame. Liz again asks about Abe, and she holds up a surveillance picture of him. And so I zoomed in on this picture, and it has coordinates on it. So, I was like, oh, I'm going (laughs) to look up these coordinates. So, like, I didn't really know how to look these up. So, I went on Google Earth and I tried to figure out all this stuff. It looks like it's somewhere in North Carolina near Carolina Beach. And then, like, so I didn't Mm -hmm. read the next panel because I was just, like, obsessively, like, looking at these details. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to find these coordinates right now. It took me a while to figure it out. In the next panel, she says, North Carolina Coast Guard Ah. sent me (laughs) I was like, I didn't even have to do that. They tell you right there that it's North Carolina. Anyway.
4: Yeah, but you found close to what beach it was at. There you go.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Aubrey. (laughs) Liz says the Coast Guard sent them that. They have to move. Devon says he's already tasked the team from there. And he says it's volatile in that area. And while it's similar to Abe, it looks like this thing is like over 10 feet tall. Liz said she heard he had changed. Maybe, Devon responds, they can't force him to come back. And he's not sure it's in the Bureau's best interest. Devon, I swear, Liz starts. I'm like, fuck you, Devon. I, I love that. He's like, I told you, Liz, I have a team on it. Let's just see what happens. And we cut over to the OG BPRD headquarters in Fairfield, Connecticut. It's definitely seen some better days. Now it's all destroyed. It's all dilapidated after hell on earth and we see vivara she's hanging out in there and then after all my angels fell to the dragon it was the german ghost who killed it it wasn't me at all oh professor what fun times we had here i so miss you you played at being mad with me but i know i was your good good friend yes and you were always my favorite human being i wonder will i ever find another and she kind of like looks out of this broken window And so I was trying to figure out what is this thing that she carves on the windowsill. I was talking to Mark and Matt about it. And you guys were both correct. I think, Mark, you said that it was an older version of Vavara. It's actually Vavara in Russian.
4: So she's just carving her name
1: into the windowsill. Yeah. So basically she's just right, tagging yeah. it. She's just tagging her name. Like when Matt wrote, Matt was here on the Marsden statue in his comic. Like <laughs> that, that's the sentiment that I got from this. Nice. Yeah. So I, but I love this panel as she looks out the window. I love the way Lawrence Campbell draws her face there. Will she ever find another human that she likes as much as the professor? And in closing, we get this scene with Phoenix and Bruiser. And it's the same event that we saw in End of Days, Chapter 3. Remember, this was part of her vision, and she even said the same stuff to him. She was like, oh, Bruiser, you're a little scared. You got to work off that cafeteria food. I don't need a fat, lazy dog. So that was like, and then in the vision, she saw the headquarters destroyed. And then Bruiser's like growling at something. She goes, hey, (laughs) you be nice. Come on, Bruiser, let's go. It's
2: all the memos.
1: Yeah, and she was looking at all the animals. They all got away in the distance we see the destroyed bprd headquarters but it's like this bright beautiful day you know with this thing in the background and so i think that that says a lot too it's like a new day is dawning all over all this horrible stuff that happened and then we get a big the end there because that's it that's the end this is the end of bprd hell on earth which is yeah monumental that we could get to this issue yeah what do you think about that ending how did that grab you
4: Okay, so it, it's been a long time coming, and then it just feels, I mean, it's sad because we lost Kate, we lost Panya, we lost Joseph, we've lost Johan, uh, we also lost John Arcudi because this is his last story, according to the, the Omnibus at the beginning. Right. And it's just like, you know, and it's just like, oh man, I mean, this is just like the end of an era. But then I'm also thinking, you know, Arcudi, this is his last, and. He introduced us to Johan. He introduced us to Panya. He introduced right. us to Joseph. He also introduced us to Daimyo. Uh, so the only characters he, he didn't introduce us to are Kate and Roger and Liz, but Liz is the only one that made it through the whole thing.
1: Right, yeah. So I,
4: just find, I find that intriguing that, you know, he also took us to Colorado and destroyed Colorado at the end of it. It's just like, okay. I mean, the series could have ended, here kind
1: of yeah oh yeah yeah and i thought and i I thought it was the end you know mark you mentioned if they had teased the next series and like i didn't really know like i thought that this was it i was like wow you know is that really the end of bprd like i didn't know at the time that they were coming back for more so you know that was really a powerful um, ending yeah
3: early on um it was i think like in the middle of like uh the black goddess kind of era there was this whole thing where uh, they were talking about how the plague of frogs era was going to end the um, and they, then they were going to start on hell on earth and hell on earth would be the middle chapter and there'd be a third one after that. So uh, it's kind of, even before hell on earth started, we knew that it was the middle chapter.
1: Yeah. I guess I just wasn't as keyed in to all the insider stuff, you know, as a reader, I really didn't know where it was mm. going to go after that, but yeah, what a fantastic ending. Yeah. And just it's, like Aubrey said, it's. Okay. It's Yeah, it's sad and, and everything, but um, yeah, I, I do like the way that that wrapped up.
4: It's like when you get to the end of a book or you know, the end of a series, and it's just like, oh, man, it's over. Yeah. But it was so a wonderful journey to go through, but I mean, we know there's more to come. It wraps up satisfying.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you thought so.
2: I mean, it's like Aubrey says, you know, when you get to the end of a book, and you're just like, wow, I got to take this all in, I yeah. guess, you know, and it's amazing storytelling fantastic art couldn't ask for more yeah really. i mean
1: and, and i love the ambiguous ending with johan or not so ambiguous but you're also kind of left with okay what really happened there you know i think that there is a lot of discussion around that i like that they went cosmic and kind yeah. of yeah well they treat
2: the reader like we've got our big boy pants on we can read a fucking story without yeah. it, it being totally spelled out for us and completely like Okay, now here's the exposition. Right. Okay, everything has a nice, neat, little, it's all wrapped up with a little bow. You know, we don't need that shit. Right. Or, you know, we wouldn't be reading this in the first place. We, we can appreciate this story for what it is, the art for what it is. You know, we can appreciate all the elements coming together to just do what it does. And that's, you know. Yeah. I think that that's, I like that.
1: Yeah, that was really great. And I want to get over into the sketchbook section. Um, When you go right over into the sketchbook section, you start off in the section for Nowhere, Nothing, Never, at least in the Omnibus version. Danielle was laughing at the little Johan that's running away from the the little bubble suit Johan. That's funny. But I want to jump over to page 384 in the Omnibus sketchbook. Here we get Duncan Fregredo trying to lay out those covers. Ideally, when you do a run of covers for a story arc, you want them to be linked either by design or theme and this series was no exception. Scott suggested that a different character could be featured on each of the covers, and after I read the synopsis and available scripts, it was clear to me that Kate should feature on the fourth cover, a memorial as it turns out, and I saw her as the heart of both story and the covers themselves. Among the first sketches I drew was the one that showed Kate spreading her arms across the covers. It was an interesting image, but... She was either embracing the cast across the covers or it was an act of sacrifice that really fit with her character. The problem was, this image would only make sense months after the release of the first books. Until then, it would be fragmented and unreadable. The individual covers needed to be strong and in of themselves. If they worked out as five linked images, then that was a bonus. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. If he had put her arms stretched out, then like you would have only had like a hand on one issue you know what i mean or that would have been kind of weird yeah agreed really nice uh artist progression here because you kind of can you kind of see all his little layouts and you see him putting it together over a couple pages he says working around kate i assigned characters to each cover the choice was determined by the events of each issue as i indicated backgrounds for each i realized that would be a way to link the covers the clincher was the way the modern cityscape joined the Tumbletown coastal towns of hell I could see the natural progression, and so I pushed that link across the subsequent covers. The backgrounds indicated a journey through the five books. It felt right. The only change that was asked of me was to substitute Yosef and Bavara for Phoenix and Eris on the third cover. It was a better fit, and it fit with a cover idea that Lawrence came up with. Eris was easily replaced by Bavara, although she was now leading the rather more bulky Yosef. That took a little more effort to recompose. The characters decided, I worked up final pencils. You can see from the note that I was attempting to match the perspectives of the city and Hell to better lead the eye through the covers. In retrospect, I regret not making Hell more chaotic. Yeah, I think they look amazing. Oh yeah, they're they're, they're gorgeous. He says, after finishing the pencils, I roughly painted gray tones under the figures. I wanted the characters to stand out on the covers and decided to do something similar to my work on Hellboy the Midnight Circus. In that story, there is a point at which young Hellboy crosses over from the real world into another realm, not unlike Dorothy crossing over to Oz. I drew this as a mix of Hellboy in pen and ink, and the other realm in watercolor. I was aiming to reverse that for these covers. Up until this point, I drew everything digitally, but I was intending to print out the art as a blue line and ink the backgrounds traditionally, painting the figures in watercolor. After half an hour painting Liz on the first cover, I came to my senses and reverted to completing the entire run of covers digitally. What started out as rough gray tones became part of the final art. I only had one color note to Dave Stewart, and that was that the central light source for all five covers should be the hellish sun on the third cover. Yeah, and when you look at nice. yeah, when you look at it all put together, you can kind of see that how Dave Stewart kind of did the background, where that is the focus of the light. Just really amazing. You know, these are real professionals doing some awesome art here, and just like it is so cool to see this image on the bottom without any of the cover art or you know the logo of the book, and just see like the artwork It's really incredible. I think
4: it's interesting in the uh, in this like black and white one, right above the co- the full color one. On Panya's wheelchair, Fergredo signed his name, but in the full-color version, that's gone.
1: Oh, yeah, I like that. That's awesome. I think he's signed all of them, if you look closely. We get some great layouts by Lawrence Campbell. He talks about this double-splash page where we see the Giants approaching the Ogdra Jahad, and he kind of reconfigured that a little bit. You can kind of see some nice comparisons of how it was initially laid out, and then the final one that he went with. And then um, Danielle mentioned that panel where we see the Giants under Pandemonium, and you said, that looks like a Mignola. Yeah. Yeah, well, here we see that it was oh, actually man. sketched out by Mignola, and this is really cool. So he provided a reference for Lawrence Campbell, and that is so awesome to see Mignola's version of the Giants. Um, even though it's a rough sketch, it's still a really amazing piece.
3: So um, you asked earlier uh, about like um, what you think happened to um – pandemonium after the giants rose up and everything right Um, do you how well do you remember the ending of um hellboy in hell number eight
1: number eight was oh that was the one where uh hellboy's sister
3: ends up like wandering around
1: yeah and she like she freaks out so hard that we see pandemonium fall yeah
3: yeah so obviously
1: when we're reading this story
3: pandemonium hadn't fallen yet she's still wandering around because this is a glimpse into the future that we're seeing. So sometime after the conclusion of this story, she would have wandered to Pandemonium and we see Pandemonium, it's covered in flame, and she screams at it and the whole thing crumbles. So my take on it is um they keep on describing it being in the center of this lake of hell that's the lake of fire. And so my take on it is after the Titans rose up, it started to sink and as it started to sink it
1: started to ignite. Right, wow, so did both of those things happen at the same time then?
3: I imagine that like um the burning pandemonium was burning and sinking for a while. Like I, I don't imagine it you know obeys the rules of earthly physics where stone is just gonna sink. I imagine it like slowly sinking for however long it wants, really. like, you know, it could have been months, it could have been years. it's just slowly sinking.
1: Right. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I love that. We get some more uh, designs by Lawrence Campbell. You know, he talks about how he received that guidance on how to do that panel with the Titans holding up pandemonium from Mignola. We also see his designs for the booger creatures, you know, that the had would spit out and they would turn into their own monsters. And then we also see him designing the cover, the trade paperback cover. And he said he wanted to include all the elements without spoiling anything. So we just see a, a skeleton in a BPRD outfit, I guess alluding to the death of Cade and Ponya yeah really nice really great work on this very last page of the sketchbook we show that image it's been in the front of every single one the group shot and so i really love that um where we see the whole team in front of this ogdruham um that nice team shot that's been at the beginning of all the books yeah so incredible such an amazing cast of characters with all these different through lines it's really an amazing thing that they've accomplished here and um Yeah, so, wow, you know, getting to the end of this omnibus is a huge deal. I'm so glad that we were able to share it with everybody. I hope that you guys enjoyed our discussion as well, and I'm so glad that Mark could also join us for this epic episode. I know you're a huge Kate fan, so it only felt Mm. right to mourn with you and share this experience with you, and so I really appreciate that, man. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah,
3: it was one that I really wanted to be a part of, too. I mean, even though it was difficult to return to that particular story.
1: Yeah. All right. So we had our epic conclusion to BPRD Hell on Earth on this episode, and we will be having another epic conclusion next week. And I can't wait to share all that with you as well. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things.
4: All right, everybody. That was emotional. And I bet it affected you, too. So I want you to share your thoughts with us. And I want you to send us a hey you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast, on Instagram and Twitter on Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Facebook at About section and on our Podbean page on the website. As always, a special thanks to Paul from Garter Hahn for the music, and we always love it. Also, thank you, Mark, for the reading order and for being on the episode yeah, today. Yeah, thanks, Mark. That was
1: so
2: awesome. So good to have you.
4: Thanks, John, for keeping us on air. You're a rock star, my friend. <laughs> Very true. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we are reading Abe Sapien, The Desolate Shore, and Hellboy in Hell, The Spanish Bride, and For Whom the Bell tolls. Ooh.
2: It, for, for Whom the, the, bell, the, the bell
4: Tolls.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we got to do it.
4: You know what to do stay home, social distance, wash your hands. Then go get your comics because your hands are nicely washed and you won't get them all stained <laughs> up, whether they be print, trade, or digital. and Join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle. I'm Mark Tweedell.
4: And I'm Aubrey Lova saying, now you are nothing but hit the of agony. Oh, no. Jeez.
2: <laughs> all right. Thanks for that. A bit harsh. <laughs> <laughs>